is Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. What's up, everybody? Let's do this. Welcome to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily for a Thursday afternoon. Jets back on the practice ring today. Lots of work to do before they get back at it tomorrow night against the New Jersey Devils. And meanwhile, while the Jets practice downtown, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers practice at IG Field, getting ready for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Sunday afternoon. Uh, the voice of the Riders, Derek Taylor, will join us coming up first in about 20 minutes or so. And then Ken Weeb a little bit later on. And uh, Weber and Kenny, should mention, are uh, going live. I think Cole Perfetti's popping by and Greg Wyshynski. That's after Winnipeg Sports Talk. So if you stay with us till 3 o'clock, just head over to KNR afterwards. But uh, we'll get Ken to tell us more about it a little bit later on. Um, busy night in the National Hockey League. A couple big, big games. Um, the Leafs absolutely pumping the Colorado Avalanche last night. And... Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, despite uh, heavily outshooting the Edmonton Oilers, sound familiar? Uh, ended up losing to the Oilers last night as well. We'll hit what's going on in the National Hockey League. Big NFL game tonight between the Cowboys and the Saints. We'll touch on a little later on. Maybe get into the East Final as well with Derek Taylor. But really focus on everything happening with the Winnipeg Jets and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as you've come to expect here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Before we get going, just do want to thank all of our family of sponsors that make this show happen every day, including our newest sponsor, F Apparel. Great to have uh, Andrew and the gang on board with us. Started yesterday, and uh, we'll be looking forward to uh, working with them over the course of, uh, well, well into the new year. Maybe we might need to... Uh, Get the duds. Uh, Maybe may need to spice up the uh, WST uniform occasionally on the program. We'll look forward to that. We'll tell you more about what F Apparel does, along with our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Not Auto Corp, Little Brown Jug, celebrating five years in business here in Manitoba. Of course, Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club Whiskey, and our friends at Cool Bet Canada. Let's get Michael Remus in here to get the show on the road. Remo, what's up? How much, how much a better state of mind are you in today that you didn't have to deal with um, 911s when it comes to internet and connection? Uh, that being said, I don't want to jinx us, but everything does seem to be working very well ever since the, uh, the second kick at the can of unplugging a router. Yes. Uh, yesterday during the start of the show, I was in a horrible uh, mental state. I sent an email to my hockey team. I was like, guys, I can't come tonight. I got a critical issue. Critical issue here, but it seems to be sorted out. You're coming in great. We are streaming in the highest quality now that we ever have, and I hope to uh, increase that increase that more uh, going forward. So uh, exciting days here. Winnipeg Sports Talk, and yeah, we're coming in here. We're working. It's great. Hey, you know what? And before we get to everything with the Jets, National Hockey League and whatnot... We've got some uh, some thank yous to send out. Um, got a bunch of Instagram notes and tweets yesterday. Uh, I guess Spotify, and I normally will listen to most of my podcasts on Apple Pods, but Spotify towards this time of the year does these reports and tells you, you know, what you've been listening to and what you've been listening to the most. And man, it was just so cool to get all these messages from people showing 
how many of the shows they've been listening to and how many hours and minutes of content they've been chewing up. Um, and Kalen Qualley in particular, I know uh, Jason uh, Jay Horn hit us up as well. Remus has got one uh, there just in the um, in the if you're watching on YouTube the bit, but um, obviously for the Spotify folks, and a lot of times I I guess I kind of just think about Apple first because that's what I use. But there's so many people on Spotify. If you do have one of those reports and you've got Winnipeg Sports Talk on it, feel free hit us on Instagram, hit us on Twitter. We'll promote some of those. And um, maybe after the weekend when they all come in, we'll try and maybe give it a prize to somebody that uh, has been supporting us. But uh, it was just really great to see. Uh, amazes us all the time about how well everyone's reacted and responded to the new place where we're bringing out the content. Um, and it was just a nice little vindication of how many people have been with us literally every day doing the show, listening on Spotify, in addition to the other spots where you can find Winnipeg Sports Talk. Yeah, I'm a big um, Spotify Guy has, um, I listen to all the, you know, they have the subscription. I listen to music. I listen to podcasts. It's easy. You know, it goes on every platform. It's much easier for me um, than Apple. And I do like at the end of the year, they give you your Spotify wrapped. They tell you your favorite artists and they also give you your podcast list. So thank you everyone who's tweeted at, tweeted at us. We've got a number of them uh, on Twitter. A couple of people tagging us on Instagram as well saying, Hey, your top pause. And we, had, I saw some people who listen to like hundred episodes we've done. 100, this is 187. They've listened like someone had 6,000 minutes and listened to us. And uh, we're so appreciative. That's, uh, it blows my mind to see those kind of, uh, those kind of numbers. So uh, thank you, everyone, who's, who's let us know. Yeah, no, that was, uh, that was really, really cool. So uh, I'll tell you what, um, if you do have that or you do see it, if you are a Spotify listener, uh, do us a favor. Take a screen cap, fire it over. We'll uh, take all those in, and maybe on Monday we'll uh, fire out a little present, a little prize for somebody um, of everyone that, uh, that has done it. All that being said, uh, great feedback on the shows the last couple of days. I do want to, you know, thank, of course, Jeff Hamilton, who joined us on Tuesday, and um, Marat, who seems to be everyone's favorite, certainly one of ours here on the program with yesterday. And we'll get into these same topics with Ken um, as the Jets were on the practice ring today, Remo, um, with, you know, where the Winnipeg, at, Winnipeg Jets are at, what's at stake, and what needs to, uh, to change and be better. I know Ken has a piece for... Uh, Global and 680 up and touched on it on sportsnet.ca and of course on Kenny Rennie after the program. But we're looking forward to Ken have a, a come on and jump on with us and uh, get his take. Ken, you know, is always quite reasoned. He's been in the game for a long time. He's seen the ups and downs of this hockey club. But I mean, even Ken, I think, has realized that, you know, there is a growing amount of anxiety amongst the fan base, but I think a growing amount of pressure on. Um, the people calling the shots, namely Paul Maurice, to get this straightened out. Because as we've talked about extensively, I mean, the defense has been greatly improved. Connor Hellebuck is playing, I will argue, maybe at a level even better than he was when he was playing the when he won the Vesna Trophy. Um, but right now, the goals aren't coming. And, uh, you know, when it comes to special teams, which has been very problematic, a lot of that comes on the coaching. Um, and the big question today, Remo, was how are the lines going to look? Because um, I think it was safe to say that there was some shakeup we were probably expecting happening coming out of that game against Monday. Um, but the shakeup had nothing to do with the top line. Connor Shifley-Wheeler still at the, the top of the pecking order, as we're used to seeing. Um, but I do know some people looking forward to seeing Nikolai Ehlers back in the top six, playing with a couple guys that I think he played quite a bit with last year in Pierre-Luc Dubois and Andrew Kopp. And 
you know, in a lot of ways, that top six looks pretty much exactly like it finished up last year. Yeah, and I thought, you know, I really enjoyed... Here, I'll, I'll start off by saying we did get a ton of positive comments, Hus, on um, the shows last two days. The Hamilton one, I can't remember that getting that many YouTube comments on a live show. Uh, people are fired up and agreeing with Jeff. And we also got a lot of Marat. Uh, shout out to Phyllis, who I always see in chat. Uh, she said this has been has to be one of the best segments of WST as it relates to the Jets. Marat has a fun way or has a way of saying things in a non-polarizing way, but still gets to the truth. And I, I agree. He did. And Marat did have strong comments on Connor Shafley Wheeler yesterday saying that, you know, over time they give up more goals than they score. Uh, that's the bottom line. And even though and that but he also said, hey, on Cal against Calgary, when they were getting outshot, uh, who came to the rescue? It was Kyle Connor scoring the goals. But I think long term, that is that doesn't seem to be the the play for the Jets. I think it was pretty obvious at the start of the season when they were winning games, they're winning with the three balanced lines. You had um, you know Cop and Ehlers, I believe, it was with Stasny, Dubois, Svechnikov, and Connor, and then Shafley, Wheeler, Lowry. Why not? I don't know why we're not immediately going back to that and why we keep going to the or why they keep going to this um connor shafu wheeler line that hasn't produced it doesn't give you the balance the line balance we can get to the changes on the power play shortly but it's hard it's i think fans are hard you know how hard to expect something different than what we're seeing when it comes to uh, upcoming games well listen i mean you can go back and check the check the tapes of last week's show um and, and you know we spoke a lot about the initial swap of Svechnikov and Wheeler, and some people were really up in arms about that. And then I kind of said, I mean, to me, that's not such a massive change. And I think Wheeler will be able to handle that. And I thought that they looked really good in that first game, especially really the first two games against Edmonton. Um, But the one thing we said coming out of, geez, I guess this was the Pittsburgh game when we expected there would be some changes. Um, I said that everything, in my opinion, everything should be on the table with one exception, and that's splitting up Dubois and Connor. Because Dubois and Connor together, especially in the absence of Wheeler and Shifley, um, had become a really, really dynamic duo. And uh, listen, Evgeny Svechnikov had a goal, I think a goal and four assists or goal and five assists over the course of the season up until that point. I don't think he scored since then. Um, And was a fine compliment. And if they wanted to keep it that way, fine with it. I mean, I wasn't as nuclear as maybe a lot of the fan base was the swap of Svechnikov and Wheeler. Um, because to be honest, I thought 90% of that, if not more was being driven by 80 and 81 together. But for that reason, I didn't want to see them broken up. And Hey, I guess when you have a game like they had against Minnesota, you were bound to, you know, see some things completely broken up or switched back uh, or gone to some old favorites of the coaching staff. Um, and they did that with Connor Shifley and Wheeler. But I'll tell you what, that game on Monday, um, you know, with all the zone time and all the the shots and the, the power play that was completely impotent. Um, I'll be honest, I expected today when we got to practice that maybe we would see something more close to along the lines of what you had talked about when this team was actually scoring goals and winning hockey games as opposed to what we're seeing right now. And tell you what, if they keep going like this, um, I, there's obviously a huge amount of pressure on that top line to produce. Um, and more importantly, for this hockey team to win. 
Um, they're getting the goaltending from Hellebuck, as I mentioned. I mean, there's absolutely nobody that can look anywhere other than the forwards right now for what's wrong with this team and what's preventing them from winning hockey games because the back end is as good as it's been in years since the team went to the conference final, in my opinion. And as I mentioned, this goaltender is playing his ass off, lights out, night after night after night. Um, so how do you get the offense back? I mean, that's the biggest job for Paul Maurice and the coaching staff right now. Um, and from the looks of it, the big change today is moving Ehlers off Lowry's line back into the top six, along with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Andrew Kopp. And I'll tell you what, if they're going to roll with Connor Shifley-Wheeler, um, I think it's important that Ehlers gets onto that line with Pierre-Luc Dubois. And, you know, with Dubois being such a different player than he was last season, maybe there's much greater potential for that line to really have some success and, uh, you know, get Ehlers going. I mean, that's, that's a really important thing as well. Um, but as I said, it's about scoring goals right now. They've been doing a relatively good job of eliminating some chances and, you know, with, you know, a few games notwithstanding, certainly last Friday in Minnesota. Um, but it's going to be all eyes on Connor Shafley-Wheeler as long as those guys are at the top line and the guys that Paul Maurice is putting out over and over again ahead of everybody else. And um, I think that's a big reason. We've seen this so long, so many times. That's the reason why there's so much angst. And to be honest, at least maybe not internally, uh, but from the outside, a lot more pressure on the coach and the team to produce some results with this look that we'll be seeing going out tomorrow night. I mean, how much longer, Hus, can you keep playing these guys um, the minutes that they're getting on the top line, on the number one power play, when you have two goals between Shafley and Wheeler through, I think one of them has played 17 games, one of them has played, played 19. The two goals, Hus, and you keep getting rewarded with the top minutes, um, the top power play, and you're not getting the results. How, how long do you let this let this continue before you're like, you know what, let's put Dubois and Connor together because they were actually going. Um, and Ehlers, I mean, Ehlers and Kopp have been solid too, actually, like like that line with Dubois. But it's puzzling that you keep trying to get these guys going when, I mean, first of all, no one is going right now, so that's beside the point. But this, the focus is to give these guys more and more ice time, but you're not getting any results, any results for them. So I'm I'm surprised to see that they're keeping keeping this up. But I mean, how long can you realistically do that? when you got two goals in between them, and two of them are from Mark Shifley. Well, you can't if you keep on losing hockey games and you keep on getting shut out by guys without a picture in the in the media guide or online by Carl like Vemelka. Um, you know, I joke about that, but it's true. I mean, this team has just completely lost uh, all of the good things that they've done offensively. Um, that, you know, sort of were the things that you could count on. I mean, last year, you knew that this team was going to score goals. You knew that they'd be able to do some things offensively. It was the big question as to whether they'd be able to keep the puck out of their own net. Um, and that, and again, we've said this over and over again, that's what's been so frustrating about the last little while, is that Connor Hellebuck is keeping these the Jets in pretty much every single game, Minnesota notwithstanding. And when he did have a bad game, he was the guy. It wasn't anybody else on the team. He was the player that actually went and faced the music afterwards that spoke to the media and said, this BS is going to end tomorrow. It's on. Mark my words. And that's the one win the Jets have in the past two weeks when basically Connor Hellebuck called his shot, backed it up, um, and for the most part stood on his head in the third period, keeping his team in the hockey game before Connor was able to score. And 
you know, that was a big goal. And I think, you know, when you look at it, that was the one game that they won. It was Connor Shafley Wheeler's first game together. Kyle Connor had two goals. And I guess from Paul Maurice's standpoint, he thinks, well, that's, you know, what I'm looking for. And, you know, these are going to be the guys that will help us win the game. But, man, uh, it's just so hard to look at that line after what we saw on Monday and think that, you know, if that's the way that it looks against the Arizona Coyotes. And I know that they had a lot of shots and I know they had a ton of zone time. But. I mean, when it comes to a shot differential of three to one for a team, um, you know, not all shots are created equal and they weren't getting into the great scoring chances. And I mean, that was just at five on five, never mind the power play. Um, and, you know, while we'll obsess over the, you know, what's happening at five on five, Reem, um, no surprise that there were some changes on the power play today. And we should maybe run down those right now. Um, so Ehlers is off the top power play right now. This is the way it looks. Connor. Pionk and Wheeler. Shifley is in the slot and Pierre-Luc Dubois is down low or in the net front. And I don't mind Pierre-Luc Dubois being in the net front because he's been the one guy actually taking the puck to the net. He's been the one guy that seemingly has a presence in front of the net and he's been big enough and strong enough to handle some of the uh, the things that come that way or at least we'll take it there. So um, we'll see. And, and to be honest, it just wasn't working with Ehlers and the rest of that group. Now, I know a lot of people have to arguments as to which other players maybe would have been a better choice to move off, but that's the way it looks right now. We'll ask Ken about this a little later on. And now the PP2 is Ehlers, Schmidt, and Morrissey with Kopp in the slot and Stastny down low in the net front. Um, something had to change, Reem, when you think about uh, how much air that power play and their lack of success and their lack of generating anything quality sucked the life out of both the building and uh, I think the the wind of the sails of the Winnipeg Jets, who were in absolute total control of the game pretty much for 60 minutes, but couldn't score. Yeah, I kind of like, I like putting Ehlers. I, I felt like he had um, better chemistry with the Schmidt, Morrissey, Cop, Stasny group. I think Dubois in front of the down low is better than Connor because why is Kyle Connor below the net? But to me, I mean, putting Kyle Connor on his, on his wing on the left side doesn't make sense. He needs to be on, on the right side. Uh, being set up for one-timers. He's your best scorer. He needs to be put in a position to score goals. And to do that on the power play, you need to score one-timers. So, um, well, I don't know. I mean, Ehlers, I say all the time, Ehlers, you know, on the, on the left point on the power play, I mean, that's a tough spot, but he scored goals from there and he can get shots off. I don't know how many players can do that, but Kyle Connor, I think he, he needs to be on the right side, but they're going with Blake Wheeler there, um, trying to set up Shafley in the middle and, and Pionk up up top and I mean he used to get the pass across the line for the one-timer but they don't have any right-handed shots the only right-handed shots they have um are Wheeler and Shifley and one of them is playing on his you know on his regular wing at the boards setting up other ones so um, we'll see how this works you hope that it can change but um I mean I I'm I'm curious to see what happens against New Jersey with this that's all that's that's all I got here yeah, all right. Well, you can save your uh, folks, save your questions. For those of you with us live on YouTube, uh, as far as the Jets go, save your questions for Ken. We'll hit uh, him with a few of yours as well as mine when he joins us in uh, less than half an hour right now. But we're going to get to some football. Uh, uh, the most positive thing around here right now, as disappointing as the professional hockey team has been, has been the professional football team and uh, what an environment we're going to have on Sunday afternoon. Uh, before we do that and welcome in DT, uh, do want to thank F Apparel 
for jumping on board with Winnipeg Sports Talk. It's great to have Andrew and the gang here. If you're not familiar with F Apparel, you've certainly probably heard from them. They are at 190 Smith Street downtown. Um, you can find them online at fapparel.com, E-P-H Apparel. Um, they're making a full line of custom clothing for any occasion for men. Suits, dress shirts, winter jackets, peacoats, and more. Casual chinos, golf pants, untucked dress shirts, shoes, plus ties and accessories. Uh, listen, I know we haven't been going out and there hasn't been a lot of formal stuff for the last couple of years. Um, but good news, I think we're coming out of this. And, uh, you know, that wedding that you've been putting off for two years, yeah, you're going to be going to it. That awards dinner is not going to be virtual. Um, so every guy needs at least one suit that fits and looks great. And F's custom-made suits start at just $400. They're the top choice in Winnipeg for wedding and grad suits. If you have a big event coming up, talk to them. Uh, if you need and need to look great, F's here for you. And wedding parties get 15% off when the group buyer uh, gets the group buys their suits from us. And for December coming up, um, it's a great time. You know, if you're thinking, oh, God, everyone says, oh, what do I want for Christmas? Well, how about a suit or at least a gift card? Ask for an F gift card. They come in any denominations. All gift card purchases in store of 150 bucks or more come with a free tie. And check this deal out for you, Winnipeg Sports Talk listeners. Digital gift cards bought online come up with a, come with a 15% discount until Christmas. So you can buy a $200 gift card for only $170 Pop in and purchase or buy them online at fapparel.com or pop down and see them at 190 Smith Street downtown. Um, and as I mentioned yesterday, when you're trying to squeeze into that suit, uh, maybe a couple extra stops at Vita Health Fresh Market might help you out as opposed to uh, some of the other choices that might be less positive for your body. Uh, of course, Vita Health Fresh Market, 85 years, family owned and empowering people to lead healthy lives. Winnipeg's number one spot for local, organic and natural groceries, supplements and beauty products, all at great prices with an incredibly knowledgeable staff that'll help you make the right decisions and get the right product for you and if you're like me on the go um, but maybe want to mix in a little bit of more healthy eating uh, the incredible grab-and-go deli at all seven locations in, include great vita market salads and delicious sandwiches to help you eat healthy and stay powered up on the go pop down and see them seven winnipeg locations for vita health including the newest store in linden ridge and you can find out more on everything they've got going at myvita.ca and of course a big part of that being powered up and feeling good is staying hydrated and the family-owned culligan water celebrating 65 years in winnipeg and southern manitoba have been the go-to people for water services for, as I mentioned, 65 years. They've got it all. Water softeners, filters, bottled water coolers, whole home systems, whole drinking water systems, not to mention citywide water delivery services for you and your family and for your business as well as they do offer commercial and industrial water products and solutions. Find out what more on what the Culligan Man can do for you by checking them out online at drinkculligan.com or... Uh, Pop down in person. Tell them the boys at Winnipeg Sports Talk sent you 1200 Sergeant Avenue or give them a call at 694-5180. All right, Sunday afternoon, the countdown is on 3 p.m. Kickoff, Investors Group Field, and our next guest will be doing the visiting radio call as we've got a winter edition of the Banjo Boulder Labor Day Classic. It is on, Riders, Bombers, and our friend Derek Taylor, host of the Sports Cage, 
and the voice of the riders joins us now dt this is it my man great to have you on the program we couldn't have a bomber rider week especially in the playoffs without a visit from you here to winnipeg sports talk especially when i'm coming to tell you all the ways the riders are going to win this game Hustler. oh yeah hey <laughs> i don't know it's gonna yeah. be rough um hey first off tell us about sunday um, you know, I just, obviously I work a lot with Dustin Nielsen. He was on yesterday. We were just doing the lock shop and we're still talking about that game. And, you know, I was flying back from your lovely province in Saskatoon. I missed the first half, got back just in time to hear about all the picks and everything happened. Literally the first play I saw of the game was Craig Dickinson and the onside kick. I'm going like to start the half and I'm going, wow, this is uh this is going to be interesting. And that second half and overtime absolutely delivered. Um, what, what were your takeaways for the riders? Um, you know, this was certainly no Picasso, but the bottom line is it's about winning a professional football and they got the win. Mm. And from my perspective, the most impressive thing was the way Cody Fajardo was able to create uh, some temporary amnesia, forgetting everything that happened in the first 57 minutes of the game and the way he led his team down the field for a touchdown late in the fourth quarter. Uh, overall, very impressive win for the riders. Honestly, it really was, despite how just atrociously ugly it was, it was super impressive. We we get to home games, we get like a 14-minute break at halftime where we get to go out, go to the washroom, grab a beverage and stuff. And it was 10-8 at that time. And I said, I know this has been awful football with all the interceptions and stuff, but this has been incredibly entertaining already. And little did I know it would just keep going up and up and up and up from there. Uh, Cody throws his fourth pick, this one to, to Jameer Thurman, and he comes back on the field after that. Calgary drives down to take a four-point lead. And as he was coming back on, I turned to my partner, Luke Mullender, on the, on the air and said, you want the Riders to win anyway, but I just hope the Riders are able to go down and score some points so that Cody Fajardo doesn't have to spend an entire offseason thinking about the fact he threw four picks in the West semifinal. Like, that could... If that crushed an athlete and he was never the same again, I could absolutely believe it, right? Uh, you could just believe it because that was that was as bad as it's been for Fajardo. But for him to immediately go bang, 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 five consecutive first downs and then score the touchdown himself that gave the Riders a one field goal lead, it was it was super impressive. In 2019, we saw a lot of comeback wins for the Riders. Uh, not sure we knew they had it in them this season and against these Calgary Stampeders, but for Cody to have shown it, it was incredibly impressive. And and to me, the biggest win the Riders have had in the Cody Fajardo, Craig Dickinson era, even if they weren't the main reason for the win in my mind. What did Cody have to say after the game, and how did he sort of balance the uh, the incredible victory and the way his team was able to win with the fact that? He threw four picks, and let's face it, you're not beating the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on the road throwing four picks. I think we can all agree on that. Oh, absolutely. He said after the game, if you th- if you had told me I would win a football game after I throw four picks, I'd think you're psychotic. Because when does that happen? And right? cover. And we should know the turnover battle was. Was that? And cover the spread. <laughs> and cover the spread, exactly. Two and a half. There you go. But, I mean, it just doesn't happen very often that you turn the ball over. At least the turnover battle was even. But, yeah, it, it was – he's now even for the season touchdowns and interceptions. For a guy who was 2-1 to one touchdown interception last season, it's, it's, it's a weird spot to be in. But he showed the value. 
I like to describe Cody as a quarterback who has a really high floor. Uh, some guys have super high ceilings. Some guys uh, have high floors to go with them. Fajardo, for me, is one of those for just what you saw in the second half. First half, they really tried with William Powell to uh, run the football. Second half and overtime, they essentially completely forgot about the running back run. I think Powell had seven carries for seven yards. But Fajardo, bang, 12, bang, 10. Pump faking guys after he's five yards past the line of scrimmage and rolling for the first down. He's got that rushing ability, which to me, most of them were, were scrambles on a pass plays. They were incredibly effective. And there's something that a team who will perhaps host them on Sunday needs to be thinking about because Calgary tried to approach it one way and then found themselves having to change by the fourth quarter. Hey, DT, if you wouldn't mind, do us a favor. We're just having a little quirk with the audio right now. Just click out and just pop back in. I think it'll be a lot better for both the broadcasts. If you wouldn't mind doing that, we'll just get DT to reconnect. Just having a little bit of a, yeah. a, a glitch on the audio here. Of course, Derek, you can follow him on Twitter at DT on SC. He is the voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and a guy that really cut his teeth doing a lot of his play-by-play right here in Manitoba for the University of Manitoba Bisons. And I have a feeling we will get to this too. Of course, the Bisons, where DT did all of his play-by-play work before moving west, um, you know, were bounced in the Hardy Cup final in a heck of a game against the Saskatchewan Huskies. And the Huskies are going for the Vanier Cup uh, as well. But we'll get to that as well. DT, great to have you back. So um, you mentioned things that the Bombers, you know, will need to, you know, be considering going into this game. I mean, yeah. Before we get to that game, I am interested in, um, you know, how did the Riders come out of this game? Um, because, I mean, this was a long football game. It was a physical football game. You played essentially five quarters of football with the extra OTs. Um, and then I did hear there was some some nonsense on the town later on on Sunday night as well involving a few players. I mean, just give us give us the latest on the Riders coming into the week of practice. Uh, is it all business right now? Do they have all hands on deck? Uh, how is this team looking as they prepare for the Bombers? Well, it, it is all business right now. They don't have all hands on deck. But you, you talked about there was an incident Sunday at a local restaurant where some Riders had went, and Luches Purifoy... Uh, the police had him in custody overnight, not charged with anything. So uh, ultimately, it's it's not a particularly big story. We talked about it on Monday and haven't talked about it since. His friend, uh, a woman was charged, a 31-year-old woman was charged, uh, allegedly they slapped the waitress at the restaurant. Luke Purifoy says it's his friend. Uh, we, not, we didn't go much past that because if it doesn't involve a rider, no rider is accused of anything in this. But So we just kind of... Uh, let that go. However, Purifoy uh, left practice today. Uh, Murray McCormick in the leader post. I'm actually not at practice today, but Murray McCormick in the leader post said that Purifoy left practice today. Appears he re-aggravated his ankle injury. And man, do the riders need him back for several reasons. One, because to me, over 14 games was their best defensive player. But two, in the Calgary game, they lost their starting Sam linebacker, Jay Dearborn, with a shoulder injury. Craig Dickinson, the head coach, says Dearborn not going to be able to play this week is probably done for the year. What you would see in good games is uh, healthy games, let's say it that way, was that Purifoy and Dearborn would kind of switch spots. Uh, Purifoy would be the safety on this one, and he'd be the Sam on this one. Kind of, It seemed almost random, but I'm sure there's a pattern to it. But for a noob like me, it's it, it just, wow, now, now Purifoy's down there. They're going to make me down both those guys. So now you push a guy like Nigel Harris, 
into the into the game uh, because Micah Tights, the starting weak side linebacker, got his foot stepped on during the Calgary game. So if Purefoy's ankle thing from today is serious, and again, super early, no idea, they could be down their Will, their Sam, and their safety going into this game, needing to fill in with Nigel Harris, Roland Milligan, a guy who got here a month ago, and Ailey Puka. So they they do not, Hustler, unfortunately, have all their pieces in a season in which they had as many as 17 guys on the six-game injured list at one time. It just, I guess it just doesn't stop for the Riders in 2021. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Bombers have been the one team that sort of started off well and, and cruised and wrapped up the division, and it's been a dogfight. But, I mean, credit to the Riders for getting here. Um, they're a big underdog. I'll be honest. I thought that this would be a double-digit spread. I was really surprised that we came in and around a touchdown. I think I'm seeing seven and a half right now. Um, but I don't think that really surprises anyone. The Bombers will be a significant favorite. But I know you've talked about this. I mean, from a Saskatchewan perspective, what is the path to victory for the Riders on the weekend? I mean, it's a tall task. They're going up against a really good football team. When you break it down, I mean, what needs to break the Riders' way and what needs to happen? Never mind for them to win, for this to be a close game in the fourth quarter, because I don't need to remind you, they weren't even able to put in a touchdown in two games against the (laughs) Winnipeg Blue Bombers earlier this season. But both those games were close at halftime, right? One was 9-8 for the Riders, the other was or, and, uh, or 8-7, something there. And the other one was 12-9 for the Bombers, just that the Riders scored zero points after halftime combined in both those games. So there, there is something in there. What's kind of propelled them in the 12 games that weren't against the Bombers this season was forcing turnovers, and they do that at a ratio, I think, third best in the league is their turnover rate. And, and this past week, special teams. Special teams were the entire difference uh, this past week. So if they can force turnovers, uh, they can get to the quarterback through their ends and through Micah Johnson in the middle. That's fantastic. They can turn the ball over with their defense. They're among the tops in interceptions and, again, third in turnover ratio in the entire CFL. So to, to me, those are, those are two of the big points on defense and they're going to need something in special teams. When Jamal Morrow is taking back a missed field goal, 125 yards, okay, taken away by a penalty, and then returning a punt for a touchdown against Calgary, which was the best cover team in the CFL, you go, okay, maybe there's something here. We'll need a little of that. We'll add in some defense, uh, and then we'll get some turnovers. The converse of that, Hustler, is that those are all things that the Bombers are very, very good at and can neutralize just by doing it, right? The Bombers have a better turnover ratio than the Riders. Okay, well, that hurts. Uh, There is no quarterback better than Zach Caleros at keeping quarterback pressure from turning into quarterback sacks. Okay, well, that then, to some degree, does that neutralize A.C. Leonard and Jonathan Woodard? And then special teams. Bombers just murder people on special teams. Like, Calgary was super elite, but Winnipeg is not too terribly far behind in my mind, as far as the coverage part of it, the kicking part of it is a whole different thing. But it, it, it's hard. There's going to be a lot of luck involved, honestly, the rider, for the riders to keep it this close. What uh, what was the mood like uh, on the show on uh, Monday and Tuesday? I mean, I'm sure all rider fans and rider nation excited about it. I think they realized that you know for the first time in a long time in a situation like this, uh, the Bombers are a heavy favorite. Is there... Is there excitement? Is there a real belief that they can come in and win this game? Or is it sort of a a, a nervous anticipation of a game um, in that 
there's no one probably that Ryder fans like to lose to less than the Bombers if it's not Bo Levi Mitchell, who they just took care of last Sunday. Yeah, honestly, I think it's about 50-50. There, there's a lot of, you know what, we got to believe because we've been able to get here so far, and Craig Dickinson and Cody Fajardo and A.C. Leonard, these guys, they can they can lead us through. Nick Marshall could pick six at any time, so you got to believe. And then there's a little bit of, you know what, honestly, everything right now is kind of gravy because there have been, there have been the injury problems that have been well-documented. There have been the offensive line concerns that have shown up throughout the season. Hey, that, that uh, they got through Calgary, that they beat the Calgary Stampeders twice in a season. There's a, there's a little bit of, you know what, everything else is gravy right now. I think, I think there's a realistic expectation and a realistic perception of what Winnipeg is. Uh, a team that, if they really wanted to, probably could have been 13-1. and one. They were 11-1 and one in games they tried in. Other than that, they kind of they were getting ready for this exact game. So I, I'm, I'm happy there's a realistic perception of what Winnipeg is, but people will always point to 1989 here on Edmonton, the best regular season team ever, 16-2, unstoppable. Saskatchewan boots them from the playoffs in the West Final and rolls and wins the incredible Grey Cup game that follows. So there's there's a nice mix of optimism and and just, you know what, appreciating where we are right now. Well, I mean, listen, there's the, I always say it, there's a reason why they play the games. Um, and they don't right? hand the yeah. Grey Cup out in week eight of the regular season. I mean, there's still a lot of work to be done for the Bombers if they want to be that championship squad again. Um, and, you know, they've got a very motivated team coming in that in a lot of ways is playing with house money. I mean, it, it, it teams that are big underdogs in situations like the Riders coming in, especially after losing twice to a team already this season, sometimes those teams are very, very dangerous. And I think that's important for people to uh, people to remember. But I, the other question I've got for you, and we've had some people mention over the last couple of days, and I'm wondering, you know, on Monday's show, I know you were talking about the win and the drive and the overtime. How big of a topic was the crowd? I, I got back, as I mentioned, I, I flicked the game on getting into halftime and I saw all these empty seats. I'm like, wow, they're grabbing a couple extra pilsners getting ready for the, for the second half. But <laughs> it was, um, it, I mean, we're just so used to Saskatchewan in a lot of ways, setting the bar mm. for attendance and support of their team. Um, and I know there were some issues this year, but uh, I certainly wasn't expecting as many empty seats at a playoff game. I mean, how big of a topic was that in Regina and any thoughts on why that was? Yeah, honestly, we didn't really talk about it that much because when you're in that game, and that game was nuts, right? And it's back and forth, and and you just kind of lost track of, of that there were probably 13,000 empty seats there. I, I, I'm just guessing the crowd was truly an, around 20,000, though the announcement was 24,001. Uh, honestly, we didn't really talk about it much because that game just was unlike any game like Luke and I had ever called or any game I ever called in my nine years doing Manitoba Bisons because it was just, it wasn't particularly great football. It wasn't, you know, expertly played, honestly, but it was so much fun. Oh, it's unbelievable. So we, we didn't talk about it a ton. We probably will as this, as the off season goes along and go, and we'll go, Really, on a five-degree day in November, uh, it was just the end of Agribition as well, which is obviously an enormous event here in Saskatchewan. But on a five-degree day, when they're taking on the hated Calgary Stampeders, they could only get about 20,000 people, bums in seats. We'll probably talk about it more as we go along and kind of what that means for the rest of the, the rest of the season and what it looks like for 22. But 
honestly, we were just absolutely lost in in a game as opposed to how many folks actually were there to see it live. Because many, many more, I guarantee you, like 100,000 people five years from now will have been at that game because of the stories <laughs> they'll tell. No doubt. Well, I'll tell you what, there were definitely a few thousand at the patch up in Saskatoon in between the women's <laughs> final and the men's final at the curling. And that was sort of a, a strange confluence of events happening at the same day at the same time which certainly didn't help the crowd. Um, exactly. But I've just, I, one of the things that we've been talking this week, and aside from, you know, what's going to happen on the field, um, you know, I was pushing 30,000 plus for this game. I think all those people that have tickets are going to be showing up for the game, even though it'll be considerably colder than it was in Saskatchewan last weekend. But for a league that's been through so much, that missed a season, that has dealt with, um, you know, major, major crowd issues in a lot of the usual spots, Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver this year. Uh, I think the best thing for the Canadian Football League is the fact that it is the Riders in this game because I think that's going to add to the atmosphere and I think that'll hopefully be some more fans that'll come out to try and fill that place um, and give the feeling of maybe the best game of the season every year in both your town and ours, which is the rivalry between Labor Day and the Banjo Bowl between these two teams. And for Randy Ambrosi and the Canadian Football League that's had a lot of bad news, um, the best thing would be would be a phenomenal football game that sends one of these teams to the West Final in a full house showing what CFL football yeah. can and should be, not just here in Winnipeg or in Regina, but in all nine cities in the Canadian Football League. Well, if you're at Randy Ambrosi and you could script what do you want in your division finals, finals you would say, well, I would like Winnipeg, Saskatchewan one and I would like Toronto Hamilton in the other. And lo and behold, that's where we were, right? Uh, I kind of thought beginning of the season, Edmonton would be in this game, kind of an Edmonton, Winnipeg, Hamilton, Toronto thing. Uh, Edmonton did not perform, but no. I mean, <laughs> he said understatingly, but this is, this is what you want, right? These are the rivalries you can sell. And that, that West semifinal, I mean, our, our numbers listening live, our numbers streaming were absolutely bonkers. And the TV ratings were 1.06 million for the West semifinal. That's crazy. And it's going to be done. It's going to be overdone by the West final. And dear God, Hustler, please tell people to be quiet because I almost go deaf when I come there to call football games. People love Why do people love the Bombers? Just quiet. I've got bad news for you. You're gonna be you're gonna be dealing with a lot of that this Sunday. That that uh, there's honestly, few things so that I will fun. guarantee that I will guarantee, but that, my friend, is absolutely going to be an issue uh for you. Um, you know, while I've got you here, I mean you do some great yeah. analysis as well and digging into the teams and the numbers behind things i'm gonna say this straight up i've been on hamilton throughout the year they've disappointed me over and over i was on hamilton a few weeks ago again toronto this is their chance they win this game they beat montreal they've got one game at home to make it to the great cup and they fell flat against the argos and the argos opened up as favorites I'm on Hamilton. I talked to Nielsen. He's on Hamilton. Bombing was on yesterday. He likes Hamilton. Everyone's on Hamilton. And you know what happens when that happens? The other team probably wins. Are we overlooking the Argos? Are we not giving them enough credit for the season that they've had right now? Um, and how how do you see this game going? Um, and, and how much of a shot should we be giving the Toronto Argonauts? Because it seems like despite the fact that this is basically a pick when it comes to the betting lines, there's not a lot of people supporting the double blue who have earned this game at home to get to the Grey Cup. 
Yeah, I, I so my, my partner doing the prop masters for TSN, Aaron Karolnik, he's on the Argos this week. I'm on the Ticats. I, I think the Ticats, man, if they have Braylon Addison back and we get to see the, the, the lineup they thought they would put out there for the most part when the season began, that's going to be great. Hamilton, to me, better defense. Toronto's getting a lot of pieces back on offense, but it's a lot of guys who haven't been there in a while. It, I I just don't know that I trust this. This sounds uncomfortable to say, but I don't know if I trust McLeod Bethel Thompson as much as I trust this current iteration of Jeremiah Masoli. Masoli is, I mean, slow start against Montreal last week, absolutely fair, but he's just not throwing the ball in harm's way like he did in the first couple weeks of the season before the injury. I, I really think Hamilton, I thought they were the team to beat, honestly, in the entire CFL when the season started. It hasn't quite played out that way, but I've been on them all the way through it as the best team in the game. So I've, I've taken them wagering. I'll take their guys in fantasy as well. Uh, I think I think Hamilton is the uh, the way to go. Toronto, here's, here's a stat I kind of always come back to. Uh, year over year, when you're looking at next year's win totals and futures, you go back to the season before and you go, okay, well, how many one-score games did they win? Because if you win a lot of one-score games, you tend to regress the following season. If you lose a lot of one-score games, you tend to improve in the following season. So you look at that and go, oh, okay, well, one-score wins aren't really indicative of a good team. Uh, last night, counted Toronto 7-1 and one in one-score games this season. Like They are winning so many of these coin flip games that I think their 9-5 and five record kind of outsizes how good a team they are. They're a team that has been struggling to run the ball at points. They've struggled to throw the ball at points. McLeod Bethel-Thompson had a nice run of no picks, and then he throws two and four, and yikes with what he's uh, is up and down throughout the time. So I, I think there are certainly exploitable parts in this uh, Toronto Argonauts team, and I think the fact that the line is now gotten – I saw a pick him before I jumped on with you – a pick them in Toronto is saying, hey, Hamilton's a better team, but Toronto just has home field advantage. I think that's fair. I think that's that's the way to go. And honestly, at uh, I took I took uh, pardon me, Hamilton on the money line when it was plus one. And I would, I mean, if I was getting in just now, I'd take him again. DT, it's going to be a lot of fun. I hope all the Ryder fans have a great Saturday night when they come out here. Like an amazing Saturday night, a memorable Saturday night, one that would make the entire weekend worthwhile. Because I'm afraid on Sunday afternoon they may be regretting winning that game against Calgary because of what the Bombers might do. Joking aside, well, though, yeah. I, just, I was just going to say, uh, we do owe you one, though, because the Huskies gave it to the Bisons in what was an amazing Hardy Cup final. And uh, they will be representing the West in the Vanier Cup. So uh, we, will, we will wish the Huskies luck to represent Can West and the West well in the Vanier Cup. But uh, obviously everyone around here are going to try to make it a fun but less than hospitable environment <laughs> for the guys in green on Sunday afternoon. Well, and, and Huss, this is a no-lose proposition for Bomber fans and for folks watching Winnipeg Sports Talk. Either your team is going to the Grey Cup or you're going to be there in person for one of the all-time great CFL upsets. So, I mean, come on. That is no, that's a no-lose scenario there. That's amazing. Hey, travel safe, and we'll look forward to seeing you and the uh, gang, and hopefully a bunch of people wearing green and right fill, filling up the stadium and uh, making for a very memorable latest game ever in Winnipeg in early December at IG Field on Sunday. Thanks for doing this, buddy. Thanks, Hustler. There he is at DT on SC. That is Derek Taylor. He is the voice of the riders, a great friend of the program. And yes, as he mentioned, nine years 
doing play-by-play for the Manitoba Bisons. I gave him his opportunity getting into TSN. Um, But then the work that he did, crunching numbers and really a next-level statistical analysis, uh, I think kind of got a lot of people on to what he was doing, covering the Canadian Football League, and now, of course, shining as the voice of the Riders in Regina and the host of the Sports Cage as well. Great to have Derek join us on the program. Hey, uh, December is here. We talked about how cold it's going to be. And it's not going to be too, too bad. We're from Winnipeg. We'll be able to take it. We'll bundle up and get ready to support the blue and gold in that game. Uh, however, it's going to continue to get colder. As much as I'd love to say it's never getting below minus nine this winter, that ain't happening. And that means your battery is going to be tested. And you don't want to be that guy that waits till it's minus 35 to realize, damn it, I need a new battery. What you should do is give the battery experts a call at Manitoba Battery and get yourself ready for the deep freeze when it does come. Manitoba Battery, locally owned, independent, and getting you a better price on your automotive battery than anywhere in town, including all the big box stores, $89.50. When you pop in to see them at 1026 Logan with your core exchange, and they have more than just automotive batteries. They also have uh, batteries for your sled. Of course, uh, snowmobile season is pretty much here right now. Um, Any type of sled, They've got a battery for it. Most of the batteries run in between $65 and $75. Um, So just give them a call at Manitoba Battery over at 783-8787. Donnie, the the maestro, uh, any of the great nicknames of that crew will be able to help you out. Pop down and see them at 1026 Logan. Or you can find out more on every type of battery that they have for whatever you need online at manitobabattery.com. Of course, to get ready for the game, you're going to want to be bundled up and you're also going to want to be representing your team. And there's no better place to do that than over at Royal Sports. Uh, When it comes to bomber gear, bomber toque, scarves, all that, the stock is full and ready for you before the big game on the weekend. And of course, amazing selection of Jets paraphernalia as well, which makes a great gift or stocking stuffer for any local sports fan. Uh, But it's not just... The uh, the local teams, I mean, NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA merchandise, and, of course, the new Canada Olympic gear is in. I just saw yesterday on the Royal Sports Instagram, which you should follow at Royal Sports Pemina, uh, ladies and kids versions of the new Canada unis, which would make great Christmas presents, all in as well. Canada soccer gear and more hockey snowboard. They've got it all, not to mention all the cool stuff over on the skate, snow, and surf side with Kings. It's all there at 750 Pemina Highway with our friends at Royal Sports. And, uh, man, my guys at Not Auto Corp are already getting set up for Sunday afternoon. Uh, great sponsors of the Bombers. Uh, we'll be there beforehand in the tent outside in that tailgate area. Fired up for that. And then getting ready to get into the seats and cheer on the Bombers. And uh, in addition to being great supporters of the Bombers, Not Auto Corp is the place to start your search for a new vehicle if you're looking to upgrade here in Winnipeg. Why not get into the car of your dreams at a great price with the help of the Not team? Visit them at Waverly and McGilvery or check them out online at Not.ca. And don't forget the Winnipeg Car Lab as well. Why not get in the lab? Find out more on what they can do. All the socials at Winnipeg Car Lab and more on the lab over at not.ca. All right, coming up in just a couple minutes, we will be welcoming in Ken Weeb, 
And of course, Kenny and Rennie sometimes fire it up in midweek, and they'll be doing that this afternoon. I think Cole Perfetti's stopping by, a little more ES, uh, NHL talk with ESPN's Greg Wyshynski. So that's coming up at 3 o'clock once we are finished here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Last night in the NHL, well, yeah, we may as well get to our Boston Pizza scoreboard while Kenny gets set up. Um, some pretty noteworthy games. Uh, the Rangers continue their strong play. They beat the Philadelphia Flyers 4-1. The Vancouver Canucks win two in a row. Maybe stop the presses. No one's getting fired anymore. They beat the Leafs and they beat the Sens 6-2 last night. Ugly, ugly game for the Ottawa Senators defensively. DJ Smith, probably not a, a very uh, happy man after the game last night. Uh, the Detroit Red Wings get a win against the newest team in the National Hockey League, the Seattle Kraken. The Vegas Golden Knights drop a 6-5 decision in Anaheim against the Ducks. Impressive for the Ducks. That's back-to-back wins on back-to-back nights. Uh, But the big games last night, Sidney Crosby and the Penguins going into Edmonton, heavily outshooting the Oilers, but not getting the win. Big night for Zach Hyman. Of course, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, the usual suspects of getting it done. But very impressive. He's the Oilers without Duncan Keith, without Darnell Nurse. Essentially, half of their starting defense was out. And they had half of the defense from the Bakersfield Condors playing in that game last night. But the game that everyone was talking about, the Toronto Maple Leafs, who started off with a whimper and are now steamrolling through their schedule. 8-3 winners over the Colorado Avalanche. Austin Matthews is hotter than a pistol right now. He had a hat trick. And oh yeah, the Leafs are in town on Sunday night. So the Jets are certainly going to have to raise their level of play if they want to hang with the Leafs on Sunday, if they want to hang with the Carolina Hurricanes, another one of the NHL's top teams on Tuesday. But before that, it's the New Jersey Devils who come to town tomorrow night. Uh, For the latest on all things Jets, before Kenny and Rennie get going at 3 Let's welcome in a very well-dressed today, Ken Weeb. He's got the uh, the black suit, the black shirt on. I'm pretty sure he was at practice and not at a funeral, but we better check out right now. Ken, everything okay? How are you? The F apparel suit, yes. Give us give us a twirl, would you? <laughs> you might you might need to get the uh, you might need for your next F apparel piece to uh, maybe get the Kenny and Rennie logo in. I would say definitely go with the Kenny and Rennie logo on the inside. Don't get the don't get your caricature from the Tristan Rivers video, which makes Sean look like he's a spry 24-year-old and Ken looking like he's just finishing a 60-year career as a scribe covering the National Hockey League. I, I've said it many times, but you got done dirty on that piece of art. Yeah, quick one here. Uh, I, the boys did take care of me on my last job. Uh, I have I have a suit and a great-looking overcoat that has the athletic logo on the inside, but I, I can't be sporting that quite as proudly as I once did. But uh, uh, great great stuff over there, obviously, and uh, yeah, great local company, and uh, great to be able to support those guys uh, when possible. Well, it's great to have them on board as well, and it's great to have you here. Um, listen, I want to get to practice, and I want to get yeah. your thoughts on this upcoming game in a minute. But, uh, you know, these last few days, you know, with the time between games, it's sort of given us a time to maybe take a step back and, you know, talk about where this team is right now, which I think, frankly, isn't a very good place after a very, very good start. Um you know, maybe the temperatures have cooled down a little bit from that disappointing loss on Monday, but the anxiety hasn't. Um, what do you what do you make of the situation where the Jets are in right now, and uh, what their uh, 
you know, what they're dealing with right now as they try to get back on track. Sure. It's a precarious one. I mean, we, we can't, uh, I mean, I've been listening to uh, all the fellow, uh, fellow sports folks that you've had on this week discussing the matter. And yeah, I mean, hey, uh, it's been a rough stretch for the Jets. I mean, I didn't start rough, but at the start of the losing streak, there were a lot of positives for the team to draw on. Uh, there was some deterioration of play over the course of that stretch of games. Uh, they had a, a heart heartfelt and, uh, you know, big character kind of win in Calgary where they didn't play anywhere near their template, but found a way to get the job done. And then on Monday, they kind of had a, I mean, call it a relapse would be a little bit excessive, uh, but there wasn't the same level of urgency that was required. I mean, yes, they had 46 shots on goal, but uh, as Paul Maurice pointed out today, 26 of those were C chances. So this is a team with high octane offense and C chances are not going to get it done. Not even against a guy who doesn't even have his own NHL.com photo in Vimelka. Right. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, we've heard a lot, on, you know, on the bingo card, uh, the band word, uh, the, the band two words of time zones. Uh, well, the time zone card has been played and the time zone card will not be a factor for this next stretch of games. Uh, the Jets were given a full day off, and uh, the majority of their veterans took the second day off as a recharging of the batteries. Uh, that should help them on a lot of fronts. They will have two teams coming in uh, with the schedule deficit, one that they had faced themselves during the course of their rough patch. But uh, that only matters if the Jets are able to elevate their level of play and take advantage of those teams now on the schedule deficit in the New Jersey Devils and Toronto Maple Leafs who play the Wild first. And uh, we know what it's been like for the Jets playing on the back end of back-to-back. So uh, they're in a situation right now where they need to take advantage of two teams that are facing a difficult schedule, a difficult task. I mean, the one thing for the Jets, I think they'll have to face Mackenzie Blackwood tomorrow, even though, you know, generally speaking, you'd think they'd get the backup on the back end of the back-to-back. I'm super curious to see how the Leafs handle it. Do they go Campbell in game one? I mean, uh, Wall was injured last night. Could there be a Michael Hutchinson sighting on Sunday? I, I am kind of wondering, or do they go the reversal? Do they, you know, sometimes with Sheldon Keefe, they've gone the backup in the front end of the back-to-backs and gone with the starter in the second. So uh, super curious to see how that plays out. But for the Jets, it's all about getting back to playing with speed. Uh, they did a much better job defensively on Monday in comparison to Saturday. Now, part of that was their opponent, but... Anytime you only give up 15 shots on goal, I think they did a nice job of sticking in their structure. But the structure has to be there on a sound basis while generating more offensively and getting more to the interior. And we'll see if the uh, new line combinations mm-hmm. will help the Jets generate some of that offense. But uh, in terms of mentality, you know, two thoughtful guys at the podium today, Josh Morrissey and Adam Lowry, they looked refreshed. Um but again, it was tough to tell by today's practice if this team had this big, um, you know, burst of energy coming out of a, a two-day break. But because of they were mostly working on power plays and things of that nature. But I expect them to be much crisper. They need to be sharper. And at, going forward, there's no other way around it, Huss. This was a team that was leading the Central Division. And now they're currently below the playoff line. And they're going to be playing two of the toughest teams in the East as they complete this four-game homestand. So... Uh, anyone thinking it's just going to happen with a snap of a finger, that's not the case either. But, uh, you know, the Jets keep saying they're not that far off. Well, it's time for them to stand up and be counted. And as Blake Wheeler said the other night on Monday, during tough times, you find out what your team is made of. We're about to find out what the Winnipeg Jets are made of. What did you think the Jets were made of on Monday? (laughs) 
I'm yeah, serious. I mean, you know, honestly, I thought that they played not bad, Huss. Uh, obviously, a turnover ended up in the back of the net. But uh, again, so much of the stuff was, yes, there was zone time. Yes, there were things on the periphery and on the perimeter. But uh, I'm sorry, eight minutes and eight seconds of power play time in the third period of a game you have to win against the one of the worst teams in the NHL. One of the worst teams ever in the NHL. They sure. are a horrible dude. And and they also came in with the 31st ranked penalty kill, which was right. even And they blocked a ton concerning. of shots, right? So then they, <laughs> that, that was sort of the microcosm of the Jets stretch, right? So slow puck movement. By the time you unload the one timer, there's somebody in the shot lane or there's two people in the shot lane. And, and that to me was a sign. You, know, you talked a lot about guys with this week about confidence and the Jets were not playing with enough confidence. Um, and that was very apparent during the uh, power plays in that in that third period. I mean, I know you mentioned it during the week. If the Jets don't have four power plays, it's probably more likely that they had tied the game based on how they were playing at five on five. But because the power play was such a deflator, um, it really hurt their chances. But having said all that, Huss, I mean, eight seconds to go. The Jets win the faceoff, six on four. Their best goal scorer had a one-timer from the middle of the circle that sailed wide. I mean, you can't generate a better look in that situation, but that was just another example of how it's been going for the Jets right now where, you know, when it's going smoothly, that puck's in the back of the net and there's nothing to discuss. Instead, we're looking at a shot that sails wide and it's six of seven uh, defeats. Um, uh, we're back to uh, we're back to old faithful, Connor Shafley-Wheeler up front. Um you mentioned the new lines. I mean, the one line that hasn't been touched from what we saw today at practice is uh, is that group. Um, I think it was in one of our conversations maybe a couple of weeks ago when we were talking yeah. about the lines and the movement of Wheeler and Svechnikov. And I said, hey, if you're struggling like this, I say everything is on the table except for one thing for me, and that was splitting up Dubois and Connor because I thought those two guys have been so good together. And I know there was a lot of talk about Svechnikov or Wheeler. To me, that's a different con- conversation because those have been the two guys that, you know, together have been the drivers and have been the producers so far. Um, they're not together right now, and now nobody's scoring right now. I mean, what do you make of the decision to change everything else with the exception of Connor Shifley-Wheeler? And should those guys, in your mind, be the first guys off the boards every night? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing for me, Huss. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers has been a great driver of offense for the for the Winnipeg Jets for a long stretch of time. Uh, he's also in a funk. Five games without a point at all. Uh, we know that there's been lots of talk about shots from distance and his mm-hmm. goals are coming from further out. Uh, to me, I think there's value in trying Dubois and Ehlers together. We know they played a ton together last year with very mixed results or middling results because of the way that Dubois had been playing and you know his physical situation and all of those things. Do I think that Pierre-Luc... Du- it's funny. Now you're looking at the inverse of the equation. Mm-hmm. Now you're looking at Pierre-Luc Dubois, who's been one of the one of the, if not the most consistent performer to try and help get Ehlers going because of his powerful game. And now you need the dynamic and the explosiveness of Ehlers to help those two guys push together. I'm with you. I think in an optimal world, Kyle Connor is still with Pierre-Luc Dubois. But for me, I don't mind the fact that they're trying to see if there's something there. Yes, last year's evidence suggested there wasn't a whole lot there, but I think that this is a totally different scenario. So I'm okay with that element of the deal. And right now, here's the thing, Huss, you've also talked about this a lot. Mark Shifley, two goals this season. Blake Wheeler, zero goals. Kyle Connor has been a very big driver of play also. You need Mark Shifley going in order to win hockey games. So having Kyle Connor there 
I understand the premise behind it. Uh, for a team that's only won once in seven games, the fact that that line generated two goals, I mean, I understand their underlying numbers weren't great, but they delivered in that situation. Uh, do I think that that line should be playing four or five minutes more than Nikolai Ehlers and Pierre-Luc Dubois? Absolutely not. And they can't. They shouldn't, and they can't in order for the Jets to to pull out of this. I think that we've talked so much about how those two pushing one another and having both those lines going at the same time will ultimately help make the Jets a better team. But the in terms of ice time distribution, it needs to be more 2021 or 2119. Or to be honest, what about 2020? I mean, uh, that to me, we talked about this a week ago in Minnesota. For me, if Paul Maurice is going to keep Blake Wheeler in the penalty kill rotation, those are taxing minutes. So to have him playing 22 minutes is going to be tough on any player let alone a 35-year-old captain. So uh, to me, I think that uh, having Ehlers with Dubois might actually help even the minutes a little bit. Now, again, there's some disparity the other day because of the power play element of that, uh, where, you know, Shifley had four minutes on the on the power play. And, and there too, that, that was another example where the top unit during the four-minute double minor was on the ice too long and not getting anything accomplished. So it kind of stacked those minutes to a degree where I think they would have been a little bit more even, evenly based. But because of the, you know, the six power plays, it kind of got a little bit skewed in that area. But your original premise, Pierre-Luc Dubois has been one of the Jets' best players this year. He needs to be playing among the most ice time. I think that that's when he's played his best. He's flourished when given additional responsibility. Uh, he played great head-to-head against Connor McDavid at the home game. And I don't want to over, you know, overlook the New Jersey Devils, but if I'm Paul Maurice, I'm playing Pierre-Luc Dubois head-to-head against Austin Matthews, which was a matchup he didn't want any part of last year, but it's a matchup that Dubois embraced with open arms when he was in Columbus. So I totally expect that there will be some element of that. I mean, the way that Tavares and, and Matthews are both playing, well, there, it's going to be a tough matchup for anybody, but uh, I think the more responsibility you give Pierre-Luc Dubois, the better he's played so far. So to me, I think at a time where the production quite simply has not been there for Wheeler and Shifley, I think you're you're helping the team by giving Dubois more. And when I also understand the part of playing Shifley and you want those guys to play their way out of it. But right now, I think they need better balance. And the other night, they had zero shifts for the fourth line in the third period. And then we're wondering why the top end players are taxed. Well, you got to play the fourth line or else those guys are going to be taxed. Well, okay, so, let's talk about that for a minute because that, sure. I mean, is still so puzzling. Um, and, and I uh, granted a big part of it was the fact that they lived on the power play for like literally 50% of the third yep. period. But I mean, the fourth line when they were out there actually was just like all the other lines spending some time in. They certainly were fresher. That's line and seemed like he had a bit more of a nose for the net and was going into those dirty areas that the top line, frankly, was nowhere near. Um, it, was that just a lapse on the coach? Uh, was it maybe just trying to lean too hard? Hey, they're dominating this game. The goals are going to come. Let's just keep on throwing these guys out and sooner or later it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, Huss. I mean, Veselainen probably had his best scoring chance of the season there in tight, uh, rifled it wide, and now he's been given a promotion because he went to the right spot, right? So Jansen Harkins, you know, in limited minutes, was creating some chaos, getting to the areas that have been hard to get to. Uh, this goes back to our, you know, month-long discussion. If, if you know, I think Dominic Tonato's had some moments. He's done a nice job in the penalty kill, but 
if you're looking for someone to give the fourth line a little bit more stability, a guy that you can lean on both at five on five and on the penalty kill, I think there's a guy with the Manitoba Moose that could help the Jets in that area. And I think that because of the offensive component of Gustafson's game in terms of distributing the puck and being very responsible defensively, winning some extra draws, all of those sorts of things, you'd probably get a little bit more offense out of a fourth line. That includes right now Svechnikov and Jansen Harkins. And now you can play that line eight or 10 minutes a night. And then you're helping ease off some of the minutes for the top end guys. But right now, one of the biggest issues, Huss, is that the third line does not have that same identity that we're used to them seeing because Lowry and Kopp have been split up and we know Perot is not here. Um, the third line is still kind of looking for its identity. And now, you know, Paul Stassi's only been back for a couple of games, so this is not him. And, you know, Lowry's adjusting to whoever is around him. But because that line generally comes out after the power play, I mean, the fourth line kind of got lost in translation, as you, as you kind of mentioned. I mean, you understood there were three days between games that maybe it was going to be a three-line game. That That's not a surprise. There's tons of three-line games for the Jets, but you're right. In a game where not a lot of people are getting to the interior, the fourth line was getting to the interior. And when we talk about the stretch of seven games where the Jets have only scored nine goals, which is seeming like an astronomically low number, given the offensive capabilities, one of those nine goals was, was scored by Dominic Toninato, right? So... Um, and there were a couple other, you know, a couple other times where maybe there was a defenseman goal that that was generated by the fourth line, or the fourth line started the shift, and then the line change happened. But uh, it's just it, it's been an issue for the Jets. And as you mentioned, I mean, you kind of get stuck in as a coach. You saw you, your most recent memory was a Saturday night when the Jets had very little in the tank, but you know the top line found a way to pull into the bag of tricks and pull the rabbit out of the hat and got the game winning goal. So. I'm not saying that Paul Maurice was trying to will it to happen, but uh, I think he kind of leaned on that a little bit too much. And and at a time when some of the other lines weren't going as well, um, he kind of leaned pretty heavily on that top line, which you've talked about it this week as well. We've talked about it. You know, we know the results. They've been outscored at five on five for the last three-year sample, as Marat mentioned yesterday. But the Jets have a better defense core. Can, can you get a higher level of play from those guys with an improved defense core, with an improved commitment to structure? Well, we're going to see. I mean, the sample size is still very low, but it, it's not something that you want to drag on for super a super long time. I mean, this isn't as easy as snapping your finger and saying, hey, the slump is over. But at the same time, you know, you had a combination with Connor and Dubois that worked quite well. So Paul Maurice said it himself. We're going to find out quickly if this change isn't going to work. And well... That change is not, the change <laughs> has not produced the expected results, us, right? That that is the that is the you know, that is one thing that we know as a certain well, that's the weirdest thing though, because he said, Well, we'll find out pretty quickly if it's not working. And right. to, to his defense, I thought it worked pretty well for those first couple of games, but since then it hasn't been, and yet um, you know, we saw the big 20 minute plus for uh, for those guys and, and at the expense of Pierre Luc Dubois. And I guess that brings me to my question, Ken. Um you know, we've had a lot of talk about Shifley, where his game's at, and even big picture discussions this year about the organization going forward and, um, you know, wh- how the team moves in even beyond this season with Dubois needing a contract and Shifley with two years left in his deal. But I guess my question is for you. I've joked a lot and I thought, oh, maybe we're getting more to a point where there was some legitimate competition and the guys that were going and the best players were going to be playing more um, that they deserved. 
is Pierre-Luc Dubois, if Mark Shifley is healthy, which I think we assume that he is right now, is Pierre-Luc Dubois ever going to be in a situation where if he's playing better, he is playing like and treated like the number one center, which many of us think he is right now, as long as Mark Shifley's in the lineup and Paul Maurice behind the bench? Yeah, I mean, only time will tell us that answer, Huss. I think there have been many moments where Pierre-Luc Dubois was leaned on. because I mean, part of the reason was Mark Shifley missed five games. He missed a game earlier. He missed parts of the third period. After yeah, that was back when up. they were winning. No, for sure. So, I mean, it, it's... We understand that there are some complicated, uh, you know, issues with, that go with uh, passing the passing of the baton, as uh, Jeff Hamilton maybe was uh, discussing earlier this week with you as well. Um, I mean, we always talk about sample size. I mean, Mark Schleif has got a very long body of work as a number one center, so he will be given plenty of leash at, in that role. But at the same time, uh, there needs to be kind of an intersecting of the paths where they have both of those guys going at the same time. Is it tough to monitor the minutes as the head coach? Sure, but you do need both of those those guys. If the Jets are going to get to where they want to go, Huss, both those guys got to be going. And some of those nights, there will probably be nights where Dubois is going and Shifley may not be going as well. So on those nights, you have to give yourself the you know give yourself the ability to lean on the player who is going a little bit better. So uh, I mean, what we've seen from Paul Maurice, I mean. Uh, we, you know, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of oxygen, um, you know, released in discussing Blake Wheeler. Well, Blake Wheeler has been removed from the six on five scenario on several occasions. So we can't say that he hasn't adapted at all. But at the same time, it's not something where um, he hasn't you know, the formula had that has worked for him in the past. He's not completely crumpling it up and then tossing it into the trash can either. So that intersection of when they need to both be going and how the ice time is allotted, that that's a real thing. I mean, it's something that we're watching develop in real time and we will be monitoring it as we move forward because um, egos are, are an issue. And I mean, this isn't just about, you know, right now it's about long-term. I mean, you've touched on it as well. Pierre-Luc Dubois is a restricted free agent who needs a new contract. Um, that contract as a point of game player is going to be somewhere north of $8 million. How high that goes, we're not sure. It'll depend on the years and, you know, everything else. I mean, at the end of Mark Shifley's deal, he'll be looking for an up, an upgraded contract as well. Um, will it be the same amount? I mean, we don't know these things. But what we do know is that Pierre-Luc Dubois is an important piece for the Winnipeg Jets, both in the present time and in the future. So finding a way to massage things around so that both players are happy that's a real job that that's part of the job that's why coaches are paid uh, you know a high amount of money and it's part of you know it's part of their responsibility to find a harmonious situation i don't think pierre luc dubois is sitting here saying you know what i need five more minutes of ice time by any stretch but i think it's fair for him to say i'm playing good hockey i want the coach to continue to lean on me so what we also know is that mark shifley is not playing at the level we're used to seeing him play at do I think that Mark Shifley is done being a point-of-game player in the NHL? Absolutely not. But right now, he's not playing at that level. I mean, we've talked about COVID, what the possible ramifications are. We won't know that until the end of the season or until Mark Shifley shares a little bit more information on those fronts. What we do know is that Mark Shifley is a very good hockey player. He's an elite offensive player. I expect him to get back as close to that level of player as we've seen in the past. How long that takes, though is going to be very interesting to monitor. I mean, I don't think it's a lack of effort, but 
he's got to find a way to be more involved and impactful. And we've heard Blake Wheeler talk about it. No, it's not all about points, but it's about having an impact in the, in the hockey game. And right now, that line, at a time when the Jets are struggling both to score goals and to win games, those guys need to be at the top of the driving bus. I know you've mentioned it. I think Ehlers is also in that same discussion. The players that are your best offensive players, they need to be the drivers. They need to help give a little bit more. I don't think we can ask more of Kyle Connor or of Pierre-Luc Dubois. If you're part of the Winnipeg Jets coaching staff, those guys are doing their part. And the guys around them have to do a better job of providing additional primary scoring. And then too, it stretches down. I mean, the secondary scoring has dried up also. And some a lot of that offense from the back end that we saw earlier on has dried up as well. So it's a cumulative effort Players that wear letters and players that are leaned on, they need to be the Jets' best players and to help try to find their way out of it. I mean, again, I don't think this is a matter of effort, but it's a matter of them playing at the level that we're used to seeing and the level, quite frankly, that they expect of one another. Um, Ken, one of the things that we talked about early on in the season um, was that, you know, a a lot of the excuses that we talked about for the last couple of years, or maybe excuses is a harsh word, but, you know, listen, you knew the defense was an issue and they did what they could with it. And, you know, for all the people that were giving it to Coach Paul Maurice in the past couple of years, there were some obvious things with this hockey club that I think needed to be fixed. And he got the benefit of the doubt and he's back here for that. Well, Connor Hellebuck's playing the best hockey I think I maybe ever seen him play. I mean, it's certainly <laughs> on par with what he did when he won his Vesna. The defense is where it is right now. You've got a fully healthy lineup with arguably the most talented group of forwards the team's maybe ever had or certainly has had since the run to the conference final. The power play is a disaster. The penalty killing stinks. And the team's not scoring goals and they're losing hockey games and now they're outside of the of the of the playoffs. There's a lot of people that think that there are there's a lot of pressure on Paul Maurice, and there probably is from the fan base, but that's very different from internally within the club. Uh, when we go into this next week or so, I mean, do you think that there is a real level of urgency from from the, from the coach and from you know from within to win right now, or is this just something that fans talk about when your team's losing, and that's not reality for this organization right now? Yeah, it's a fair question, Huss. Um, I mean, I started by saying this. I mean, there was a segment of the Toronto Maple Leafs fan base that went into a game against the Chicago Blackhawks last month, and the lottery outcome was expected to be one of the coaches was going to be fired. And look at where Toronto is right now. I'm not comparing these as parallel situations. What I am offering is a reminder of things not being permanent and things being able to change quite quickly. Going back to the original point, uh, I do think that there is a you know heightened awareness. Uh, urgency is a great word, Huss. Um, you know, when coaches have spent a long time with an organization, you know they are closer to being fired than they are to be hired. Uh, having said that, I don't think that Friday's game against the Devils is a referendum on Paul Maurice's tenure. What I do think is that there is a growing amount of of you know, expectation on the coaching staff to put the team in a, in a position to succeed. We've seen line changes. Once again, the blender was out. We've seen structural changes to the power play. These are areas where the coach can make an impact. The coaching staff has made an impact on the defensive play. I mean, the Jets are, with the exception of the seven even strength goals allowed against the Minnesota Wild, they've been a little bit more structurally sound. So they do deserve some credit, but you're right. I mean, 
I often say, I like to say that the players need to execute. You, the coach can have the best plan. If players don't execute, it won't matter. But you need to put yourself in a position to succeed. I think the coaching staff is looking for solutions. Um, although the players enjoyed a day and a half off, to me, Paul Maurice did not look like a guy who got a lot of sleep in the last two days, Huss. Um, to me, I think he's drilling for solutions. I think he's searching uh, under rocks. And I think he's trying to find a way out of this. Um, I do think there's a heightened urgency around it. Like I said, I, I don't think that this next stretch of three games is is a is a is going to determine where Paul Maurice is at long term. But what we do know is that this is a team with great expectations. They were you know, internal expectations and external expectations are higher. Um, and when teams don't don't meet expectations, solutions and tough, tough difficult decisions are made. So. Uh, and I think that the coaching staff would understand that part of the the job, but at the same time, Paul Maurice doesn't look over looking over his shoulder to think about when he's going to be fired. That doesn't help him find the solutions that he needs to get out of the mess that the Jets have created for themselves after losing six of seven. And as you mentioned, basically spoiling one of the best stretches in Connor Hellebuck's run as a member of the Winnipeg Jets. Us ten of eleven starts of two goals or fewer. They've won four of those games, four, four out of those 11 games. And that simply is not good enough. So um, it'll, it'll be super interesting. I mean, I, I wasn't trying to go around the question there. I'm trying to do as best I can. I, I, we know that the Jets' first impetus as an organization is not an in-season firing. There has been one in an 11-year block. And I, I would say... Things were probably worse at that time than they are now, but the expectations were also different. So, oh, the expectations are 10 times higher right I mean. now so, than we were back in 2013 or whatever it was that right, Claude got but, the axe. But does that mean, I mean, it's hard to know what the organization, we know that the organization values Paul Maurice both as a person and for the job that he has done in leading them to their best record in franchise history and their only playoff mm-hmm. wins. But at the same time, I mean, when things aren't going well, all things are discussed. All things are looked into. I mean, we know the Jets are looking at a situation where they haven't had a full burn yet. And I'm not saying that that's because people are you know, on the fire Paul Maurice bandwagon. I, I don't think that that's a driving force. I think it's more economics and things of that nature. But uh, I do think there is some pressure on the Jets to pull themselves out of this kind of minor tailspin. And We've noticed, I mean, whether it's the players or, or Paul Maurice himself, there's been a little bit more edginess to some of the exchanges of late. Uh, I thought there was a little bit more calm today. Uh, I think that Paul Maurice is expecting his team to respond. He gave them, this is what happens, Huss. You know, this is not like the old days. What All we heard about on social media was, you know, this is bag skate territory, right? You give your team one day off and then you (laughs) skate them into the ground. This is a no pucks practice or the pucks are at center ice and you're covering them with snow. I mean, this isn't, this isn't the seventies or the eighties here. That's not how you pull yourself out of a rough patch. Uh, You pull yourself out of a rough patch by trying to get some actual changes that you can exact. And I get it. Some old school folks would love to see that, but this is just not the reality we're living in. But what we do need to see us, and the biggest thing that I will be looking at for tomorrow night, what you cannot hear at the podium after tomorrow's game, after saying you just had eight games in eight different time zones, but you were given a full day and a half and some two full days off were 
well, there was too much time between games. Now we're not sharp. I'm sorry. That is not an allowed response. There needs to be uh, a high energy, high octane game where the Jets are basically, now might it take them a period to get going because they're out of their rhythm? Maybe. But this team needs to be ready Mm -hmm. at puck drop and they need to play essentially their best game in a a two-week span. Uh, Otherwise, you know, We'll find out a little bit more about them. Like Blake Wheeler said, this team needs to be ready. They have great, they have they have solid leadership. They've talked all year about their maturity. And quite frankly, now it's time for them to show it, to take action. Uh, Paul Maurice is expecting them to be refreshed, recharged, and get back to that level they were playing at, you know, two weeks ago when people, as you mentioned, were making fun of an ESPN ranking and saying the Jets were playing some of their best hockey. You know, they have been, some of their areas of their game have been quite good, but the, you know, the maximum, some of, it hasn't been as, the sum has not been greater than the parts lately. And we're, we're about to find out if those players can elevate well enough to get themselves back uh, into this conversation. Because quite frankly, being below the Western Conference playoff line is not a suitable outcome for a team that spends over the cap because they're an LTIR and they made the improvements to the areas that were viewed as deficiencies going into the year, Huss, right? I mean, that's all the deficiencies have been taken care of. So now it's about showing what kind of team they are and proving to themselves what kind of team they can be. Yeah, uh, Ken Weave with us here. Don't forget Kenny and Randy coming up at 3 p.m. this afternoon. The guys love Cole Perfetti and Greg Wyshynski on the program. That's coming up at 3 o'clock on YouTube. I have to say this um, because you've said this. I've said this before. It's sort of just become sort of like the the narrative around the club that this team has great leadership. It's always, oh, it's great leadership. Well, they have great leaders. Um, To me, they do have some great leadership right now. The, the number one leader on this team wears number 37 in a goalie mask. And he's the one guy that's actually come and said anything that resembled anything I think most people would want to hear, which is embracing the expectations and the challenges and not talking about time zones and the, you know, the travel that they've had and all oh, the schedules tough and we're not doing that. Connor Hellebuck's been the one guy that's done that. And I would love to see this hockey team follow his lead and i'm not saying you got to go in front of a microphone and call your shot every time you're going out and playing a game but sort of follow that and the other guy to be honest ken is pierre luc dubois who right now i think has lead both his what he's been saying and what he's been doing on the ice has shown that he can be a leader for this club but i mean it's hard to say right now that wow the leaders are really carrying this team right now when we've talked about what's happening with shifley and wheeler and Josh Morris, who I think has had a strong season so far, and a guy that has the A, and you know, a guy, one of the leaders on the, but he's more of a quiet leader and a guy doing all that. Um, to me, I think we find a lot about, and and you know, Wheeler sort of called it himself. We're going to find out what this team's made of, but this is why. I mean, I think this game, maybe more than any in ages, is going to be. Uh, listen, I, I, if if Shifley and Wheeler weren't playing on that top line and getting all that you know, that ice time and basically having the guy that has been a driver this year playing Connor with them, maybe it's a little different. But would you not agree with me that going into this game tomorrow, there will be as much of a spotlight on 55 and 26 and on that top line and what they're able to do than we've had in a long time? And and if 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 you agree with that, is it fair? Yeah, it's interesting, Huss. I mean, there's when you wear the C and you wear an A, there's obviously going to be pressure. I mean, those guys know that they're they're not playing at the level they need to. 
What I would also say quickly about the leadership element, I've loved what I've seen from Kyle Connor at the podium this year. She's showing it on the ice as well, but I love the fact that on a day where, um, you know, Andrew Cobb is another one of those emerging leaders, but the game after the Pittsburgh game, Cop, you know, Cobb was saying, you know, he was painting a little bit more of a rosier picture. And Kyle Connor's like, we made life too easy on Tristan Jari. I love that he said that. I think that he his, his he was expecting more of his group. Uh, Andrew Kopp has done a nice job in the leadership front. We know that Paul Stassi doesn't need to wear a letter to be a leader. The one issue too, Huss, I mean, Stassi was at the podium in Minnesota there too, and I was fortunate to be in that that game. I mean, uh, Paul, wasn't going, Paul wasn't in the situation where he – and the situations were different than last year when they went through the seven-game streak. But the problem here, that was Paul's first game back. He's not going to come out with both guns – unloading you know that's why i couldn't believe it was paul stastny of all people speaking after the game like i was absolutely stunned that hellebuck speaking after a game that he got pulled and paul stastny those are the two guys that and again you know i I understand the other guys weren't asked for them so like i'm not i'm not calling a shot i'm not saying guys were hiding from it or anything like that but honestly i mean i'm just i agree with you ken i mean what's paul stastny gonna say he's just come back off and hey that was a tough game we're gonna have to get back at it I mean, it was Hellebuck. That was the, was the most significant thing we've heard from any player in, in a time of adversity. It's easy to come out after a big game. Hey, you know, we're playing good. We're doing all that. That was a time that that Hellebuck led. And, and, and that's why, and you've said this a number of times. I mean, they're wasting some of the best goaltending in the National Hockey League right now. And to me, that pressure and that urgency, it's almost to like rise to the level that you're getting from the most important player in your locker room that's giving you a chance to win every single night, but it's not happening. Yeah, and it, I'll give you a little bit of background too. I mean, Mike McIntyre and myself were at the game, and the, the reason why we didn't ask for Scheifele or Wheeler is because we didn't expect them to, you know, deliver or some kind of a you know massive post-game speech about what needed to be better. And it was one of those situations where Hellebuck. You expected there to be the potential, not just for fireworks because he got pulled, but because of the scenario and because of what you mentioned, the leadership element. And Stastny was asked for because it was his first game back after a long time. I mean, he hadn't even spoken since the injury. So, um, and again, these guys, it's a totally different environment. You know, if that game, if it's a normal situation, the room is open, the captain is going to speak in that situation for every sure. single time. So uh, it wasn't that folks didn't want to talk to him, but I think it was one of those situations where, I don't think the answers – folks think there should be a certain set of answers from Blake Wheeler and Mark Schleife in those situations, but I think it was one of those situations where you know, I know myself personally and Mike, they expected to hear a little bit more from Connor Hellebuck in that element, which is why he was asked for. It wasn't that people didn't want to talk to them or, or whatever else, but uh, there's been plenty – I mean, again, Blake Wheeler was out after a bat, you know, a bad loss to a team that has been struggling. So it's not like he's shirking his responsibilities and he gave a great answer there, but he can't be delivering the same message all the time, which is what was refreshing both about Wheeler's message and also about Hellebuck's, as you mentioned. But uh, in terms of Friday night, I mean, is it important for those guys? Absolutely. Do they need to lead as best they can? Yes. But to me, the Jets are no longer one-line hockey team. They have a lot of other leaders. They have other people finding their voice. They have other people... Uh, picking up some of the responsibility. And ultimately, I don't think this is just about two players. And I know what you're saying. I mean, it's important for those guys to get themselves going in whatever way possible, but they need some help. I mean, right now, they can't they can't carry the team by themselves. They need some of the other guys going, uh, whether that's a Kyle Connor helping them drive or whether that's Pierre-Luc Dubois, you know, absolutely 
uh, being the driver of the second line, or a guy like Nikolai Ehlers, who you know was quite visibly frustrated before the last game um, about where his game was at. I mean, these are guys that are high-level elite players. They've had a long stretch of success. Things aren't going as smoothly for them. Uh, I think that no matter, and fans may not want to hear this, no matter how much pressure the media or fans try to put on players, the players put a higher level of pressure on themselves to perform. And, you know, ultimately it's about trying to find that balance between knowing you need to be better, but also focusing all the things that you need to do in order to be better and not be, you know, concerned about any of the outside noise or things that are happening on, on the outside and the, and the, and things of that nature. Sounds good. I do expect them to do a better job though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to beat a dead horse. I think it's pretty obvious though. I mean, a Paul Maurice is playing those guys as the number one line and they're the first guys over the bench and they're getting the dominant part of the R. Exactly. Exactly. Because if not, you know, the team was winning a lot of hockey games when Paul, when Pierre-Luc Dubois was in that position playing with Kyle Connor, even with a guy on a PTO for crying out loud that Andre Svechnikov in and, you know, maybe that's not the worst thing to have, you know, you know, those guys maybe be in at this point, at least for a little while, maybe a little bit more secondary role, lean on the guys that are actually going that have been getting it done. Maybe that'll help you get, you know, get out of what is a time where I think there should be a, an amount of urgency and you hope they play with some desperation because it's very important to end this losing streak to get back in the wind column and then to have a little bit of momentum going into two incredibly tough games against the Leafs and the Carolina Hurricanes. Um, we'll put that to bed just quickly on practice today. Um, you mentioned Nikolai Ehlers moving up with Pierre-Luc Dubois. What do you make of that move? And uh, what did they do on the power play? Because I think that's been the biggest question. Um, you can continue to hold your own at five on five, but if you're getting killed on special teams, um, you're not going to win a lot of hockey games, especially against the teams that are coming to town. Yeah, we know that uh, Nikolai Ehlers has had some success with Andrew Kopp, so they're going to continue to play on, on the same line together. And I think I like the Dubois move to play him with Ehlers because I think there could be something there. I thought it last year, and it just never transpired. Um, in terms of the power play, Huss, uh, there is a you know structural change. So Wheeler will be on the wall uh, at the top, Neil Pionk. Kyle Connor moves from his one-timer side to where Nikolai Ehlers was over the last couple games on that left-wing kind of half wall. He will not have a one-timer available to him, but he has a shot available. Mark Scheifele will remain in the high slot for now. I mean, the best chance the Jets have had on the power play was against Minnesota. Wheeler to Scheifele, that old faithful move where Scheifele found the quiet zone in the high slot. And the other change is that Kyle Connor is no longer down low. It's going to be Pierre-Luc Dubois in his six-foot-five frame in front of the net. So he'll be there for screens and for retrievals and, you know, in tight, you know, good hands kind of play. Uh, what that also means is that Nikolai Ehlers is back to running his own unit where he will get the majority of the shot share. Uh, and he has that cross-ice one-timer available to Josh Morrissey. Nate Schmidt has done a nice job getting his shot through from the top. Um, there's also some of that chemistry with, well, Paul Stastny down low and Andrew Kopp in the slot. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, the puck movement is, to me, the most important and critical part for that power play to get rolling. But uh, it's worth trying. I mean, somebody had asked me uh, on Twitter, well, why not put Kyle Connor in the slot? Well, if you do that, now you're putting the inverse on everything else. Then you got to put, in order to have Connor in the slot, you need Wheeler or Shifley on the, ha- on the left wing half wall. And you need... Um, someone else, whether it be Morrissey or somebody else with a left-handed shot on the other side. Otherwise, that one-timer option is not available, and Kyle Connor's kind of where Pierre-Luc Dubois was in that high slot, kind of just looking for, you know, the only time you're going to get a really good hit from there is when it's coming from down low. 
Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how this uh, new look goes. I mean, you are limiting some of your opportunities. There will not be as many one-timers available, but I think what the Jets are looking for is create a little bit more chaos in terms of getting wrist shots available uh, and coming out. Know, I don't think you're going to see that same button hook reload that you see from Ehlers from Kyle Connor, but he is a guy that can score from distance and maybe you can have that, you know, element of surprise or maybe you catch, I mean, Kyle, Kyle Connor caught Connor Hellebuck by surprise today on that side. So uh, we'll see if they can catch uh, Mackenzie Blackwood, who uh, could be returning here from the uh, the uh, you know <laughs> his situation his, his situation with the uh, the vaccine. But uh, that'll be interesting to watch. But I do I am very curious to see how it works. I, I think there's potential with Ehlers and Dubois to really um, flourish together. But you know Dubois has previously been you know succeeding with more straight line players right like Kyle Connor plays more of a straight line game you know explosive both of them are explosive but Ehlers more kind of an east-west player at times but hey am I mistaken was Connor not earlier on when the power play actually was clicking playing on the other side where Wheeler was where he actually was able to make that one timer and doing a pretty good job of that well last year Connor led the Jets in power play goals but so far this year Kyle Connor uh, one of the biggest developments uh, only one of the 14 has come on the power play so I, I think that it had been having some success with Connor there but it, it wasn't leading to the same one-timer chances that we had seen last year uh, with greater frequency so uh, it was more Josh Morrissey was hitting more of those one-timers with that first unit and then for a while Connor was kind of those two guys flip-flopped but um, it, it's going to be interesting I mean I think the Ultimately, what the Jets feel like, they may have become too reliant on the one-timer on the power play, which is why you have guys on their strong sides rather than their offside. So it'll be interesting to see how that transpires. And the other part, too, I mean, can you generate more looks from the high slot for Mark Shifley? Because much like we've seen, even back to the Patrick Laine era, Huss, if you get too static, it's hard to find, you know, if you get sitting around too much, like, you know, a stamp, you, know, you got to be like Ovechkin, you got to be moving. There's got to be an in and out. Like if you're just standing in the high slot, um, if you don't find the quiet zone, you're easy to check. So, and if you're easy to check, that takes away one of the options. And the other part of it too, if, if you're easy to check there, it also impacts your defenseman one timer because the defenseman is already in that lane checking your stick. So that that it's sort of twofold there. And uh, they got to get better crisper puck movement and, you know, a better ability to find shot lanes that are available. And right now that, that has been a struggle for the Winnipeg Jets and they need to pick that up quickly. Kenny, awesome convo. Um, yeah, I, I, I've been a, a slightly cranky this week. Every time we have these conversations, I, I just noticed. get back to feeling I'm walking out of the building, hearing everyone talking about the freaking power play after the third period on Monday. Uh, that being said, nothing that a couple wins this weekend wouldn't change. We come back ready to go getting after it on Monday. Hopefully that will happen. But I do think these are very big, a big game on Friday. Um, you know, and especially we've got Wheeler's in on it again. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been on Wheeler and he hasn't had a great start to the season, but he has been an incredible player for this Winnipeg Jets team ever since the team came here. And you certainly would like that 1000th game in the National Hockey League not to be in the middle of a sky is falling scenario for the hockey club for both the player um, as well as everyone around them. So a big game tomorrow night. We'll see what happens. Uh, I'll be looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say after Friday's game on Kenny and Rennie. But uh, before we go, you're not done for the day. You and uh, Ren are going to be teeing it up at three o'clock. Uh, fill us in on uh, what's coming up on the uh, 
weekly edition of KNR at 3 yeah, p.m. Uh, should be a fun edition. We've got Cole Perfetti coming in, uh, discuss his start to the season and the, uh, you know, addition or invitation to the uh, Team Canada training camp, which is, uh, it's fun to go double up on the prospects. I had my piece on Chaz Lucius that went up yesterday at sportsnet.ca. It'll be great to have a uh, discussion with Cole here. I was on the conference or Zoom call yesterday. He's obviously excited. It's that fun time of year, Huss, right? The World Juniors kind of cranking up. Uh, Lucia's also invited to the Team USA camp. That'll be a good opportunity. Yeah, for just him. quickly, I meant to ask you about that, and then we got so fired up on Sorry, all these it's Jets good. issues. It's good. Uh, uh, I mean, I read the piece. I mean, uh, for first look, uh, seems like a guy that's uh, adjusting quite well to the NCAA and uh, pretty fired up for his World Junior opportunity. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, he's a guy who's more of a bubble player for Team USA, but uh, I, I liked what I saw. I mean, we always hear, you know, on draft day, we've often heard about hockey intelligence. Man, this guy is around the puck all the time, Huss. I mean, he's got a great shot. Um, I mean, he's not a burner in a Kyle Connor or Nikolai Ehlers mode. I think he's much you know, more similar to a Cole Perfetti in the way that he thinks the game and can really rip his shot. But uh, I liked a lot of what I saw. I mean, he scored a six on five goal. He plays, you know, interestingly enough, he plays the line A spot on the power play. I uh, didn't see a ton of one timers, but, you know, he's, you know, can be a facilitator, but he can also really shoot it. And I mean, again, it's important to remember, like folks think about what Kyle Connor did. Alconor was 19 years old when he had that incredible freshman season. So you're looking at a true freshman in Chaz Lucius who had a serious knee injury the year before that limited him to 25 games. I don't think he's going to be a one-and-done player. I think he's probably going to play, play at least two years at the college level, but there's no rush. Like This is a guy that is going to be a high-impact player. Bob Motzko was absolutely gushing after our, after the formal part of the interview went. Like This guy's a real player. He's just got to mature and kind of grow into his body and, and kind of make up for some of that lost time. But I think Jets fans are going to be uh, thrilled uh, you know, whenever he does turn pro. And if he can make the Team USA uh, club at the World Juniors, they'll be uh, excited to watch him play. But next year, as Chaz is big chance he'll be a big driver of team usa next year if he can make the team this year and get that experience i think it's a it's a bonus for him as well kenny great stuff thanks sorry for keeping you so long but it was no, a great chat hey, um, i was on. ready to get into andrew harris i mean what a development <laughs> on the gridiron uh Huss, i'm gonna go for the daily double a full-on baseball style double header on sunday i'm gonna be covering the bomber rider game for sportsnet.ca and then, uh, you know, hustle over to the stadium, maybe. Uh, Perfect. I'm going to need I'm, a ride. And I, I might be hitching driving. a ride with Sarah, actually. Uh, <laughs> okay, we'll have to see well. how it goes, but it uh, should be an awesome I know day. all I the mean, bus routes going from IG Field to downtown. There you go. If you, need to, if you need to jump in, definitely not driving Sunday afternoon. Uh, thanks for doing this. Go hydrate. Put your wake-up shirt on. We'll look forward to uh, <laughs> jumping over to your channel when we're done here at 3 p.m. Thanks, pal. Thanks for having me and have a great weekend. And yeah, it should be great to have Greg Wyshynski on too. Lots going on on the NHL level and discuss a little bit about uh, how ESPN is taking things by storm uh, south of the border. You got it. Ask him about the Jets after the last two weeks going, somehow going, they were 20th when they were in first place. Now they're somehow in 11th after what's happened. I love that. It's Maybe it's a crystal ball thing going I was forward say, it's a to see what's ball happened. They're, they're sure. two weeks ahead of everything. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, thanks for doing this, pal. We'll talk to you soon. My pleasure. Take care, Huss. Uh, great, great point from Pretty and Pionk. I love this one. Pretty and Pionk, uh, Stasny's thousandth game ceremony was a turning point last season. So maybe Wheelers will be this season. That certainly would be nice. Uh, I really do hope that that night goes well for both the team and Wheeler in particular, because he does deserve it, regardless of what you think about what the coach is doing with who's playing on the top line right now. The guy's been an incredible ambassador for this team and a big part of uh, the Winnipeg Jets since the team came here uh, 10 years ago. All right, we are going to get to the coach. 
Uh, do want to thank our friends Little Brown Jug who are celebrating their fifth anniversary. Tomorrow we're going to have a special little piece as well as something on our YouTube channel on the five-year history of Little Brown Jug with Kevin Selch, the owner. We did that yesterday. We'll have that a little bit, uh, some of it tomorrow before we do the marble race. Uh, but you're going to want to check out, first of all, five-year anniversary party tomorrow from 6 until midnight down at Little Brown Jug. Going to try and get there either before or after the game. Um, and I got a chance to try the Brute IPA, the brand-new five-year anniversary brew last night, a celebratory beer brewed for Little Brown Jug's fifth anniversary, a champagne-like extra-dry IPA with flavors of citrus and stone fruit. Uh, they got those, the five-year tulip glasses available right now, some great new toques, which make an awesome gift, as well as gift boxes, which are available now both at the tap room or you can go online, pick out your favorite pieces. They'll put it together, dress it up for you, and deliver it wherever you need. It's all there at Little Brown Jug. And don't forget tomorrow, the five-year anniversary party down at the tap room, 6 to 12 on William Avenue. Um, our friends at Princess Auto, great supporters of ours and huge supporters of curling in the province, had a great time doing some special Princess Auto curling reports all last week. Um, I know there's an event this weekend. We'll talk about it on Monday. The DeKalb event down in Morris, Manitoba. For you curling fans, should be some great action with some of the top curlers playing here in our province. And, of course, Princess Auto is the place where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around, plus uh, items from the new farm category. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Family-owned headquartered right here in Winnipeg for a national business, two local locations, and of course you can shop 24-7, 365 over at princessauto.com uh, Boston Pizza scoreboard for tonight before we hear from the coach uh, the Avalanche coming off that 8-3 ass kicking in Toronto last night, get a uh, nice stop in Montreal to uh, maybe get back in the wind column against the Habs Blues and Lightning all right, playing in Tampa, and we have an e-bug alert. There will be an emergency backup goalie backing up for the Blues. Uh, they've got a way today to call up another goaltender, so uh, I believe it'll be Huso starting, and uh, the e-bug, who had a great practice with his beer league guys this morning, he's ready to go if, in fact, he's called, and wouldn't that be something going up against the Stanley Cup champs? Blues and Lightning at six, Sabres, Panthers, Blackhawks, Caps, Sens, Hurricanes, Sharks, Islanders, Bruins, Predators, Devils, Wild, Blue Jackets, Stars, Flames, Kings. Busy night in the National Hockey League. You can catch it all at your local Boston Pizza with some ice cold schooners, great pizzas, Boston wings. And if you just want to do it at home, give them a call your local location or order online at bostonpizza.com. All right, let's hear from Coach Paul Maurice. Um, we went to a lot of the bigger topics about the Jets heading into, I think, a real crucial week for this team after a pretty disappointing couple. Uh, the coach spoke after a full practice today with some new looks in the lines as well as a new look on the struggling power play. Here's what Coach Paul Maurice had to say after practice today downtown. Paul, you're probably going to get asked this a couple times in the next few days, but Blake's game, thousand games coming up and trying to get a head start on yeah. Uh, but like, I mean, you've been here since for nine years, I guess it is now, and he's been here for every one of those. Like, what can you say about Blake playing a thousand games? What he's meant to the club, the city, to you even? It, it's the weight of the games. Um, I say it a better way than that. 
there's players that could play have played a thousand games that could probably play five thousand in a in a style right stay out of traffic good players um but he's been an in traffic player full sprint every practice every game so it's not just the games it's the days that you prep it's the summers that you put in to drive his body as hard as he has to be as prolific as he has that's what i take away from it the handful of guys that are like that rod brindamore was like that uh and matt sandine you know drove himself real hard learned how to compete heavy like that like those guys because they play like that carry a thousand games injured an awful lot right broke a bone in his foot ribs just a whole bunch of things that that you know you just marvel at his ability to go out and play at he's played hard games it's a thousand the hard way uh, yeah and that's kind of he wouldn't have gone to a thousand games this year if not for probably playing through something last year with the fractured ribs all that like I guess not every player has to do that to get to a thousand games, but I'm sure at some point I you're playing through something yeah. significant even. If you're if you're playing as hard as he plays in the traffic areas, you're getting hurt. So at any given time, there's probably seven guys on your injured list of players that are that are in a game that have something that they're dealing with. And um, you know, I mean he's he's had some significant ones, games that you know, unless the, that I would leave to him, like the doctors would say, okay, it's a pain tolerance thing. And he'd, he'd play. And then at some point before the game, he'd say, you know, I, I expect to be a hundred percent tonight. So I expect to play. Right. So you, you don't watch my minutes. I'm, and I think I was, I wasn't here long, but a week or so or two weeks, we go into Dallas and he gets crushed and in the near the door and crawls off the ice into the room there's only about four minutes left to go in the game and trainer shaking his head they're worried that he's he broke his shoulder blade um and he's back on the bench a minute later and he was fine now after he's got a significant injury but he went out and, and played and played hard right so i'm looking at the trainer are you sure this guy's right because he's he's back he's ready to play that's that's kind of the way I deal with him. I give him a green light to tell me if he thinks he can. And if he thinks he can, he plays. Last one for me on, on Blake, but he's your captain, and I'm sure there's it's a different relationship between head coach and, and captain. But personally, can you just kind of speak a, to It starts as a player relationship always. And especially as you're younger, you know, he's, he's kind of just coming into his prime when I get here. He's in his late 20s. And... Over time, what happens is, one, an appreciation. So I would have a connection for a player that plays that hard. Right? You, you are uh, certainly thankful for it, but it's in, in ways, always at awe, in awe of it, his ability to do that. And then as men get older, you start to share more experiences. Three young kids, all at a young age, what, what, the, what the joy and, and cost of that is. Uh, so you you have more things that you can start talking about that aren't hockey related, and then you have a different kind of relationship, a relationship away from game. You know, a 22 or 23-year-old, your relationship is based on hockey because I don't listen to their music and, and I don't know how to use my phone. So as a man gets older in this game, you, you find new things that you get to talk about and your relationship deepens.
Paul, is there a player or players that Blake has had a significant impact on, you know, in terms of maybe how they were maybe perceived coming into the organization and where they are now? I'm going to say almost all of them. I think what he's done for Kyle Connor, because Kyle has a skill level and a speed level that he would he he could be a perimeter player and still put up a lot of points and be a good player, but. Kyle's practice habits, Kyle practices like Blake does now. He doesn't go have speed. In any, and at his size, I wouldn't expect Kyle to burn it out every day, but he's got himself to a fitness level that he can. So those would be the guys that I think directly related. All of those kind of younger guys, and that includes Lowry and includes Josh Morrissey. So Blake is very into fitness, very into um, diet finds other sources and, and researches ways to recover better. So he's really in tune to that. And that becomes the, the structure of your group, right? If, you're, if your big dog is show up, throw the skates on, you know, eat some pizza and all that workout stuff is meaningless, right? Then the rest of your group will go to that. And your younger kids especially, uh, it takes, they take so much longer to develop, right? I mean, you, you hear that. Just standing on the sideboards in training camp, I'm going to hear one kid go, oh, my God, is he fast? You know, holy is he strong, right? So the, the, they get a taste of that in camp for the first time, and it's the first time they've ever been on a nice with a guy that's 6'5", that skates like that, and he's strong and he's snarly on every drill. That has a major impact on, on your group. Well, how you describe the, what went into the decisions? It changed your units a bit. You had Kyle in a different spot. Ehlers back to his own unit. How did you yeah. land on that, and what are you hoping to see from it? Well, too much, pretty significant philosophical change in what we're trying to do on the power play, and I think we've we've uh, we, we've had a challenge with hands. We've had a challenge this year with players in and out of our lineup, and and then with hands. Um, so I wanted to put Kyle there because I think he can beat a goaltender from there. And, and, and if he can't, doesn't beat the goaltender from there, he's going to put it in a place that we can do something with it. Nicky's got a really unique style of coming off the wall, and, and they have something between him and Andrew Kopp and Stasty. There's something there. It was true with Matty Perot as well last year. There's, that's almost a standalone power play. And I wanted to put Nicky there originally out of respect for him and what he can do in minutes you know, to give him a chance, but it didn't make him or the power play better. What he does doesn't fit what those other guys do. Kyle in that hole we've never used before. Now, we didn't need to in the past because we had a right-handed shot over there. And if you don't have a right-handed shot over there, it changes everything about your power play, how it moves. So that's almost day one today of, of a pretty significant change in how we're going to move in the offensive zone. Uh, pure loop, net front, 6'5", uh, 220, leading our team in goal scoring. We need to get the puck there more often. Um, and Mark, over the years is an elite slot shooter if we can find a way to get him the puck. But you need more options around him to be able to get Mark the puck. So a bit of a change with that unit. It's going to be a bit of a work in progress, but I, I, even in the short sample size here today, you know, Kyle banged a couple in, and there was more action around the net than we've seen for a while, and, and they understand the change, and they're, 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 it's not a matter of buy-in. They have to own it. Right? They, they've, it's, you put those five guys on the ice, the skill level they have, they've got to be on the same page and they've got to make it work. Just a quick one for me, Paul. Just, uh, some nights you'll come out and talk about speed and, and uh, the club yeah. didn't move and, and whatnot. So what, on those nights, is it, uh, is it the, 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 
you feel like it's a there's not mental quickness or like they're not making the decisions quick enough the feet literally aren't there and so what do you do the next day in practice or, or what do they do today to, to prepare for a couple of quick teams coming in so in general uh, there's a physical component to this um, and, you, and so I mean we measure all these things right like how they're feeling all that kind of stuff and then I got two or three kind of canaries out in the ice that I know if they're because I know how hard they play and what they spend. If they're dragging, we're dragging, right? So you, you're aware of that. The mental component of the speed is is not it's not just it, it's what I feel my job is. Your job is to get your team to play fast. How you prep them in practice, and then most of the game speed is the people without the puck reading either the puck carrier or the first forechecker. So if you can increase the percentage of an understanding of what's going to happen next, your team will play faster. There are things that you can, that, and then I guess the third is what you do with the puck and your mindset with the puck changes the speed of the game. If you think you're shooting the puck, you're more likely to go to the net. If you think you're going to pull up and make a pass, you're more likely to get into a shooting lane. That's why I think you've heard me say I want all of them to play like shooters. They don't have to shoot the puck, but I want them to move like they're trying to shoot the puck. That's their, their main goal. When we do that, I think we're fast. All right. All right. There you have it, Coach Paul Maurice. Uh, you know, interesting one. I, I enjoyed his um, talking about the power play and the, uh, the how things will look different. I think that's music to the ears of everyone that watched that game on Monday night. Absolutely needs to happen. Uh, Jet fans, myself included, hope that it will work. Uh, but I do want to just say one thing about what Miller, um, Coach was talking about with Blake Wheeler earlier. He mentioned that game in Dallas. I was at that game in Dallas in the press box. And at the time, the Jets were just clinging desperately to the possibility of still being within the playoffs. I don't believe they made it, um, but they were trying to get there. And they were still, they basically needed to win that game. And Wheeler was playing well, was playing incredibly hard as usual. And I was in the press box looking directly down at the bench when that incident happened. And honest to God, I thought he was seriously, seriously injured. It was an awkward, dangerous play that was that was scary, frankly. And they dragged him into the uh, into the dressing room, and I said to Lawless at the time, "Going, man, that looked terrible. I mean, you know, you just hope that the guy's okay after something like that." And then two and a half minutes later, with the game on the line, who the heck is out there driving, doing everything he can to help his team win but Blake Wheeler? And I will always remember that. And I went on TSN 1290 after the game. And this is at a time when, uh, if, if I recall, we were talking more about the changing of the guard and Andrew Ladd moving on. And, and I had said, or maybe citing that afterwards when it became apparent that we that Ladd would likely be traded that we knew who the captain of this team was from the minute that that happened. And that was Blake Wheeler. And, you know, I know a lot of times people are focusing in on the present. Um, I think what happens before the game on Sunday, um, you know, will hopefully be about what this guy's done for this organization from the minute that he got here right through until now. And hopefully to a season that kind of turns around from a rough, rough stretch that we're in right now um, and gets, some success because I don't think there's anyone that would argue that this guy has worked incredibly hard and done everything he can do to try to make this Winnipeg Jets team better. Um, it just hasn't been working right now. And there's a lot of legitimate questions about the team right now, about the production from particular players, including 26. Uh, but that I'll always remember that as long as I live. And 
that was the moment where I think we all realized what this guy was made of and how committed and dedicated he was to the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, of course, we'll talk more about the power play and how things are going to look for tomorrow's game on tomorrow's edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Much more on the Bombers and Riders heading into the game. I uh, do got to give a big shout out to our friends, Nick and Nikki and the Nick and Nikki DQ group. Of course, that new DQ Steakhouse burger is available right now, and it looks amazing. That is definitely on the menu over the course of the next couple days. Uh, and you've got four locations to support a great supporter of ours, the DQ in Neverville, DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and DQ St. Anne's. And if you, uh, by the way, DQ St. Anne's open year-round now for you folks out in St. Vital, and you can order for delivery on Skip the Dishes and Uber Eats. And if you do need a DQ cake to uh, make your next gathering that much more elite, hit them up on Instagram at DQ Manitoba. They'll uh, get your custom-made cake ready for you for a quick and easy pickup at any of the four Nick and Nikki DQs. Tomorrow, folks, tomorrow, we will go in, we will put smiles on our faces, get ready for a huge weekend for the hockey teams, for the Bombers, and we will finish off the week on Winnipeg Sports Talk with another marble race, which have some incredible prizes with our friends with Canadian Club Whiskey, the official spirit of the Blue Bombers, and the official whiskey of Winnipeg Sports Talk. I know Greg was a winner. We've got a bottle for him. He's going to pick that up tomorrow. Uh, I've got a couple of hoodies that have just been picked up this week. So you'll have your next chance to win tomorrow with Canadian Club and WST is on tomorrow's show towards the end of the program. And again, if you're going to the game, uh, Canadian Club, along with all the Beam Suntory products, Jim Beam, Brugal Rum, Northern Keep Vodka, available throughout IG Field and, of course, available for the weekend at your local Manitoba Liquor Marts. A quick look at the Cool Bet lines tonight. We went through the Boston Pizza scoreboard, a ton of hockey. So go to coolbet.com and you can check out all the hockey games. But we do have a Thursday nighter in the National Football League. And this line's moved quite a bit today. Uh, when Dusty and I picked the game, both were on the Cowboys on, th- on Tuesday. It was four and a half points for Dallas. It's now six and a half. Cowboys getting some players back. Alvin Kamara ruled out for New Orleans tonight. Could be a long night for the Saints at the Superdome. Dallas desperately needs to break their losing streak and get this win tonight. So Dallas right now, minus six and a half point favorites on the road at the Superdome tonight on Thursday Night Football. Of course, you can check out all the lines. While we're at it, quick update on the uh, CFL lines. Bombers still seven and a half point favorites. Opened at seven at Cool Bet. Minus 110 on that one. And uh, Ty Cats. And Argos, essentially a pick right now. Argos' one-point favorite at home was a half-point earlier. I think it'll go back, but essentially you're picking that game, whoever you think is going to win. Uh, we'll be all over that tomorrow in the program. But again, if you haven't bet at Cool Bet before, use the promo code WST for a 100% bonus up to $200 on your first deposit. And at some point before the weekend, check out this week's edition of The Lock Shop. Dustin Nielsen and I just cranked it out before Winnipeg Sports Talk today. We normally do a, th- a Friday he, of course, is traveling out east to get ready to call the Eastern Final. So that's available now at any of your uh, podcast feeds. Just search Lock Shop. Make sure you hit subscribe and join us on that. Um, Remo, lots of Jets talk today. No surprise. Of course, it was great to have DT get the rider perspective on the West Final. And uh, tomorrow we'll be counting down to a big game for the Winnipeg Jets, trying to get back in the win column against the New Jersey Devils. And we will be... At the end of tomorrow's show, 48 hours away from showtime at IG Field for the Bombers trying to book their ticket to the Grey Cup.
the countdown is on. I'm looking forward to it. I do have to add, I just wrap it up on Kenny. I thought he had a great idea with a no no pucks practice. Probably <laughs> probably should have gone gone further with a no sticks practice. I mean, you, you can't get better if you if you practice with pucks. You need to do a couple of no puck practices. I think it'll help help morale for sure. I, I think that is probably the move. Maybe make Ken. Ken, the coach, he had some good, he had some pretty good ideas. I could just see Ken I, doing the that, no puck, no pucks today, guys. You're yeah. gonna you're gonna you're gonna get welcomed Who? into Weeb's world right now for the next hour. Skating your asses off. Ba split in chat actually said uh, sticks upside down practice, and I was like, oh, even even better, genius, <laughs> genius. Like I think didn't people used to do that? I'm pretty. I'm, I think that used to happen once in a while. All right, turn your sticks upside down. I'm gonna show you how to skate. But uh, yeah, I thought it was, uh, you know, it was good to hear from Coach. I actually agreed with what he said about the power play. Um, they are kind of screwed. They don't have, they only have two right shots, but I still think Kyle Connor would probably be better served being in the one-timer spot, but we'll see. We'll see how, how it goes. Uh, the Ehlers with those other guys, um, I, I think they showed chemistry before, especially last year, but we'll see. But I mean, it doesn't help when you play one power play, you know, 80% of the time, the other one, 20%. So well, we'll, that hasn't we'll been the case. It, it, it no. that crept in on that crept in on, on Monday night for sure. But that's mm-hmm. certainly not the no, blueprint and not what I the agree. Winnipeg Jets want. Brandon George, I've yeah. been to a no puck practice and a no stick practice. LOL. It is yeah. not fun. Uh, yeah, no doubt about that. Hopefully it'll be more fun at the rink tomorrow. I am looking forward to the game. Uh, a big one, I think, for the Winnipeg Jets to get back in a good spot before two monster teams coming in in the Red Hot Maple Leafs, 9-1 and one in their last mm-hmm. 10. You know, as pissed as everyone was in Toronto a few weeks ago where the, where the Leafs are, mm-hmm. best way to avoid that, win 9 of 10. Uh, you'll be in a good spot and everyone yeah. will be pleased, and that's certainly what we hope we'll be talking about with the Jets in the next little while. Mm-hmm. Um, folks, tomorrow on the program... We will do a marble race. I think we might have a pair of tickets for the West Final to give away as well. So make sure to join us live on YouTube if you're able to. Shout out to everybody listening on the podcast. If you haven't already and you're still with us on YouTube, do us a favor. Hit that thumbs up button. Make sure you hit the red subscribe button and join us tomorrow for more on the Bombers Riders. More on the Jets and Devils going into the weekend. Of course, Blake Wheeler's 1000th game and your chance to win some great prizes on our weekly marble race here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Thanks to Derek Taylor. Big thanks to Ken Weeb. And speaking of Ken Weeb, for those of you on YouTube, head on over right now to Kenny and Randy. Join the guys. Should be a great hour plus with Sean and Ken and their guests. And we'll see you tomorrow at 1 o'clock here on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Thanks again to all of our sponsors, F Apparel, Vita Health, Culligan Water, Manitoba Battery, Royal Sports, Not Autocorp, Little Brown Jug Brewing, Five-year party tomorrow. Don't forget about that. Princess Auto, Boston Pizza, the Nick and Nicky DQ Group, Canadian Club, and Cool Bet Canada. For Michael Remus, I'm Andrew Hustler-Patterson. Have a great night. Enjoy KNR, and we'll see you tomorrow at 1 right here on WST. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.